take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. The woman I love just left and took what I've been working for. And don't you try and stop me, cause I'm walking out the door. You can take this job and shove it. I ain't Hello everyone, welcome to Eventually Super Train episode 154. This is a short-lived TV show podcast. We cover short-lived TV shows that never got enough love. Eventually, we'll cover Super Train. I am your main host, Dan, and in this one, we are starting off with some Galactica 1980. The great Mr. Christopher Bly joining me for the eighth episode of that. And then I will be talking about the second episode of Monster Squad. And then we're closing it out with the great Amanda Reyes and myself discussing the final episode of Lucan. No! <sighs> All good things. So let me play a little bit of the Galactica 1980 theme, and we will dive right in. <laughs> Episode 8 of Galactica 1980, The Night the Cylons Landed, Part 2, written by Glenn A. Larson, were April 20th, 1980, directed by Barry Crane. And this continues from where the last one ended off. The uh, the two Cylons, the one Centurion and the one Humanoid one, uh, end up at a Halloween party where they meet Wolfman Jack and, and want Wolf them to... Uh, want Wolfman Jack to take them to the nearby radio tower so they can um, transmit to the Cylon fleet the location of Earth. And it's up to Troy and Dylan to stop them. Listen to this. The Night the Cylons Landed, Part 2, the 8th episode of Galactica 1980. As always, I am here with the great Mr. Christopher Bly. Sir, how are you? Milk and cookies! I'm quoting Charlton Heston there. Uh, not too bad. How are you there, Dan? Doing okay. Um, uh, so so we we left it at uh, hanging last time. I think uh, I I was fairly iffy on the first episode. I thought possibly there was an excessive amount of filler. Um, what did you think of part two of this one? Well, first off, for starters, let me let me let me add by saying uh, the recap shows what a good job an editor could do if we cut the fat out. <coughs> And make it into something, you know. And mm-hmm. here it was like rewatching the recap that they do at the beginning of the show after the credits. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's basically, I said, you know, it's like, like, wow, you're cutting this together like it's a, it was a really good episode that we just watched. So credit <laughs> to the editor on that one. Probably became an editor in the 90s making really good trailers out of not so great movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, but uh, it's and also they use the police squad announcer. And now for the exciting <laughs> conclusion. conclusion. You know? <laughs> And oddly enough, they did it in like the middle of a shot. It wasn't like they didn't freeze frame or anything. It was just like they they showed the end of the episode and then it just led right into it with the guy saying it, which is kind of interesting. Well, yeah, it did, it did show a little bit of improvement, and mm-hmm. it didn't have somebody freeze frame that just went to the top of the pyramid, the winter exactly. circle. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so I mean, but what we're like to be reminded of is we're going to have Wolfman Jack. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a Ronald McDonald looking uh, William Daniels here, with that wonderful kind of voice that kind of sounds a little <laughs> like this. You know, it's like oh, those meatballs. Those what meatballs. am I going to do with my samples <laughs> with those meatballs? You know. So and. Uh, 
and they've uh, picked the color uh, in the uh, of a you know a Cylon and a missile head to the big costume party. You know, mm-hmm. and you know we're not really given any landmarks, so maybe that's a little bit of credit there. But they say it's New York. It's probably yeah. Universal's version of New York, mm-hmm. but no landmarks. And that's what, you know sometimes that's a that's a good less than obvious kind of thing on mm-hmm. that. So. Yeah, but, they, uh, they keep reminding us it's New York over and over again, even if I'm like, in the dialogue, I, think I, yes. I think I recognize that storefront. Hmm. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it almost looks a little bit like an East Village, West Village kind of thing there, mm. you know, from that, that outside of it. But we learned that, you know, they work, work in radio and that Cylons discover this through that circumstance, uh, getting a ride in the car to that costume party. And meanwhile, our Galactica guys get... Caught up in action, they almost get arrested again, they escape in a cop car. Mm-hmm. And now we're up off to Troy and Dylan. Uh, I believe, yeah, and Troy, for those of us reminded, happens to be the son of uh, Apollo, mm-hmm. uh, Boxy. We, this is grown up Boxy we've got here. So we, we do like the little time frame of how many, how many years that it's been on that one. And um, yeah, and it was at the. Uh, and their their funny chase that they put the cops through get, puts them into water because they figure mm-hmm. oh no more roads or no more earth or something like that that's their thing we had no idea that they could swim mm-hmm. on this one and and how they uh, yeah we never know how Galacticans take yes water. Mm-hmm. but I have to say watching it as a whole on that one mm-hmm. I think it's a fun episode I have to say mm-hmm. like I was when I was watching it it was more like when you think of uh, Dr. McCoy in the ill-fated fifth movie of Star Trek, he says, you know, it's just, he always says, like, well, the the pleasure is having fun singing it. And watching mm-hmm. this episode, I had fun watching it on this mm-hmm. one. This was actually kind of a, a, I think it wanted to capture, oh, we want to remind you of all the good things about the show, uh-huh. like space battles. Or you get that every now and then, particularly in this episode, saying, we want to get our audience back. So let's a little more space battles, a little more action, a little more like, you know, without, you know, we don't want to learn, want to try to learn to know anybody too much. I think it's just another show that just is trying to find a path of its footing. Yes. Um, and, uh, and once again, we were, we're, we have a visit from Dr. Z. Uh, <laughs> we never know what color that, that room is going to be like. One day it's blue, the other one it's red, the other one it's Purple. I mean, I'm waiting uh, for them to go uh, all uh, Roy G. Biv on that case. <laughs> or maybe if they have a character named Roy G. Biv, that would have been great. Probably great. second very season. Col- yeah, very colorful fella. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the intelligence, you know, basically is there for such a young fella. Mm-hmm. And uh, what was great was when uh, they said, "Oh, we got to go to this uh, party," and they realize it's in this one place. They go, Troy, Dylan. Never has your mission been so brave. What a great line. I said, <laughs> I have to say, there's some great lines that we're going to be going through uh, in this episode and in a couple of future episodes. Must must be honest. There was, I thought maybe they're starting to gain their ground, even though they're puzzled on a direction. Yes. Mm-hmm. There's some great lines. At the, and it's from, of course, Lord Green, who luckily mm-hmm. doesn't, once again, he doesn't uh, say it was, it was a crap on this one. <laughs> He needs to say trap. I mean, luckily, yeah. luckily the Canadian doesn't get too mixed in, even with mm-hmm. that beard. Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's one of those things. Yeah. And um, just the, the further further thoughts on this one. You know, it, it's they're trying to get everybody. It's a clowny and company. I want to call it that. And puffy puffy shirt, shirt Tony Monero's dad. Mm, mm-hmm. 
The man who, who, by the way, is responsible for those infamous meatballs that oh, uh, Liam Daniels is. Yeah, two Brooklyn guys going out of there. <laughs> really they truly are in New York. we got to include those guys into it. And also Paramount contractees, even though they're doing a show for Universal. You know, um, <laughs> and, yeah, you would you'd think, uh, what was it? Um, you know, it's a mix of kids and adults, this very party. Yeah. And, of course, who the hell shows in there is Wolf Man Jack. All oh, yes. Stuff. Yeah. And he, and, and he says, oh, yeah, so much that I go, like, did he ever do Kool-Aid ads? I mean, that would have just – you would have the perfect guy and the perfect uh, voice. Like, oh, yeah. Just remember, guys, in a few years, Wolfman Jack's going to have his own Saturday morning show. Oh, yes. Yeah. Sadly, only lasted six episodes, and I think mm. it was because of the music rights because mm. – they included music videos, and that's another story altogether. But mm. the inclusion of Wolfman Jack and ABC, and I believe, wasn't he also on a Hardy Boys at one point, if I'm not mistaken? I want to say yes, he was. Yeah, that's I wanna, sounds, I wanna something like was, that, yeah, yeah. I'm sure I'm sure mm. somebody's going to correct this if we're wrong on that mm -hmm. one. But and, then was, of course, yeah. have, and then, of course, they have a guy named, uh, was, it, uh, was it Century, was it, was it um, Centuri? Centuri. Not to... Yeah, not the cousin of Centauri from The Last Starfighter. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, guess what? Robert Preston's not playing twins. There you go. <laughs> well. And it's not exactly, basically, it's not exactly American graffiti, but somehow these two individuals, a Cylon and a missile head, uh, thought to be a Cylon in human form, mm -hmm. uh, want to get a signal, a message out there from the Wolfman. You know, the Wolfman's mm -hmm. got to be the one to give that message, you know. Mm. Not so much to get their ass in gear, more like we want to get it because we want our other Cylon buddies to be coming in there uh, to do some damage and come to the Earth and know where they're located. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I said, Universal Lots of But then we get to see Kent McCord and Barry Van Dyke uh, have a little bit of soft shoe. Yeah. Because they get mixed. And, yeah, any, any Broadway show... That's going to have Scooby-Doo singing Zippity-Doo-Dah at Dancing <laughs> Scoobies. My God. I said, where, where is this Broadway show? I'd love to see it. Uh, oh, oh you God. kids. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you kids. Exactly. And they somehow make an escape uh, through uh, uh, another song, you know, mixed in there. And, yeah, Good Ship and Lollipop. Is they... <laughs> Good Ship Lollipop. And they get to uh, escape with those white suits. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, we didn't get to see the Shields and Yardello number out of that one. <laughs> But hey, who's counting it? You know, hey, another network. You know, so. Mm -hmm. But uh, coming off of it, just on everything, I, I mean, there was a lot of laughs that was said. Oh, we also have uh, as the the main military guy, we got Colonel Reverend Snow mm -hmm. coming mm -hmm. in there to give like warnings and everything. And it's somehow in the mix there, Captain Dobie, who has has basically transferred from Bay City all the way to New York City as an NYPD cop. Yes. Captain Doby decides to find himself into the Empire State, mixing in with this. It also has probably one of the best lines. Now, there's a point where they're going to heat the meatballs up in the microwave, mm -hmm. but he already has a metal thing. That thing's going to go kaboom in a couple of seconds. You didn't need a laser mm -hmm. to have that thing explode. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess they didn't know the science that would come up years later, you know, with sparks <laughs> and all these wonderful things here, but... It basically gave, and that's right, one of the best lines I could think of from any TV show or any, uh, what was it, or any, uh, or even this show. And it's, of course, the line of, flames coming out of his fingers! <laughs> yeah. Flames coming out of 
his fingers. <laughs> like, I'm saying, yeah, yeah, it's it's like yes, it's powerful lasers. Only unfortunately, yeah. it's something different. I said, but like I said, we didn't need those flames for that thing to go kaboom. Mm. But it kind of set off what probably would have been the scrapped remake of Towering Inferno, as yes. seen by Universal. <laughs> but that's it. Yeah, we didn't know what the dog looked like until they they finally rescued yeah. it. Yeah, when you say Skippy, I'm thinking he's looking for the bloody peanut butter because everything else at the party wasn't great. <laughs> yes, you know, just find the jelly. You know, so that one. So. But then we kind of like fast forward to a, you know, we have like the the hip muggers. Who oh have yes. This dialogue that like they're quoting Shakespeare. Mm. One of them actually looking like Michael Richards. I almost thought it was him. When I look on the credits, it wasn't, but I said, well, Jesus, and without the sunglasses, I would have been thinking, like, are you about to be on Fridays in about a year or less, you know? <laughs> and oh, and then, like I said, they want to they they give the, the word of, yes, you're in New York City, and Central Park is a dangerous yes, place. Yes. Look out for, like, yeah, well, they didn't run into Al Pacino and uh, Leather in that area, too, so... <laughs> Or Sylvester Stallone, for that matter, with a beard, you know. But somehow, you know, they think kooky things are going out on Central Park. And mm. basically, they all have their story of, oh, you couldn't believe it. Yeah, because they, these two guys do the high jump. So now Galactic's oh, yeah. got a high jump <laughs> as one of their superpowers. And yes, it does play a part of this one, because when we move to that International Trade Center, I guess I don't want to use World mm. International Trade Center, where this uh, radio thing happens to be, their station and their facilities there, they, these guys can't go as far with an elevator. They need a special key. Uh -huh. So what ends up happening is, oh, let's go through the shafts and let's high jump our way up there faster than the Ghostbusters could ever do in that movie. <laughs> they had to deal with the stairs. These guys had to high jump in the vents. None of them fell through through the vents. Mm -hmm. God help us. And then it comes to what I consider to be a hoot of a conclusion. I could not believe it. They try to set up the signals. They do, and they they shoot up the phasers, and Wolfman Jack is afraid of heights, uh, and he makes a run for it. You know, they, they all of this. And by the way, Wolfman Jack looked like he was coming from the production of A Man for All Seasons. Mm. Mm -hmm. I'm sure he was either understudying or he was, like, just playing, <laughs> like, the, the, the local sweeper. Something like that. Or sweeper's partner, for that matter. You know? <laughs> and... It gets to the point where one shot to the Cylon, and all of a sudden we we have kind of a change of alliance of sorts. Uh, I'm here to protect you. No, we're supposed to get the signal. I'm here to protect you. No, we're supposed to get the signal. And walks all the way to the edge of the building, falls, and to put uh, and doesn't do a landing like King Kong. No, it goes into a friggin' dumpster. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my Lord. I mean, never before have I laughed going like, that's how they finished this? With yeah, a dumpster? A, mm -hmm. and, then, this, and then the garbage truck shows up at the end. And then, the garbage, and, and then we try to get a hint of maybe it's still around, maybe not. But I said no, because it just said one thing. And it wasn't like, uh, oh, he's dead. Or is he? No, he's still in protection mode. So mm. we'll never get him back. God oh. knows he's going to be forever defective. And... <laughs> There we go. Say, so, well, we've saved the radio stations, all that, and now we can finally put Orson Welles on Halloween. Hey. And, and Mike Myers could uh, go ahead and do our uh, play us off with for the finale, along with the <laughs> Scooby Dancers. Yes. <laughs> hey, remember one of them wanted to go back to that show. Say, like, I wonder how that thing ended. You know. Yeah. And obviously, it was Barry Van Dyke being the uh, part-time showman that he is, and mm -hmm. once again with a voice that sounds exactly like uh, at like Dick, still with us. <laughs> 
Uh, you can always see that the showman was always in, in him. And, uh, yeah, and we got the, the little incorporation and no other kind of assistance there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everybody else was left off with everything else, and everybody did their cameos. And, yeah, we also had the one stunned uh, gal say, like, oh, my God, they came in here and they did this and they did that. They had, the, like, the one panicky mm. gal at the party. Mm-hmm. You know, who, who I believe came in with William Daniels, I think. You know? Yes, the, yeah. As, like I said, I think they were trying to do a low-key version remake of Dowering Inferno, and this gal would have been perfect yeah. at it, you know, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And But basically, that's kind of the episode that you had a whole bunch of different things. God knows that you had, like, Disney and Scooby in the same uh, world here somehow, mm-hmm. you know. And yeah, yeah. This could be a hint that there was going to be a theme park a little more so than just California for, for Universal, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to compete with Disney one day, and this is one way we're going to do it, you know? Mm. Try us having to sing zippity doo you know? <laughs> <laughs> I and, didn't expect but, to see Hong Kong Fooey in an episode. God knows of that. I said, well, come on, can we, couldn't we afford it? A Scatman Crothers uh, cameo out of that, too? <laughs> like, hey, I voiced that thing! <laughs> Ow! He shines! But other than that... uh I put it to be, you know what? This was a fun episode, and mm-hmm. you're enjoying the ridiculousness for the fun of it. God knows anything that Wolfman Jack is in is fun. William mm-hmm. Daniels with that wonderful voice, and you know, I am not a clown. You know, when mm-hmm. I try to be a clown, you know, nobody happens to squeeze my nose here. You know, it's a, <laughs> he's got that Brooklyn voice that just never left him. You know, so it's mm-hmm. a, and uh, and like I said, it was it's a fun capper to what was kind of a sleeper of a first part. Who knows what, what it was like when you put them both together in that case? That's true. Yeah, I wonder if it was if this was one they they put together and did like a European like theatrical of because I know they did that for a few of these. I bet they did. I bet they possibly, did. possibly. Yeah. But I also say too the version that they did that was compiled that was the recap. I mean, talk about that saying. Now, this flow's really good. Yeah, that it's looks like, like a great episode. It looks like, geez, what did we miss? You know, that, <laughs> hey, if they were trying to get viewers back, if they were, like, having any hope for the show, that would have been a good way to get it back in a yeah. way, in a small way, not a big way, but a small way. So, but I, I had fun with this one, you know, intriguingly enough. And, like I said, still is a show that can't determine the direction, yeah. but... I said, like, well, you know, you had one pretty good tale that actually had a better conclusion than a beginning. Yes. That's what I said. Yeah, I, I think the um, – I, I watched it twice, and I think you can watch it one of two ways. You can watch it as either it's just this wonderfully weird episode that, that, that it, there's, there's no – there's no pacing to it at all. There's no um, there's no sense of of danger or anything. It just cuts from this group of people doing something to this group of people doing something to these people to this people. It just it's just like whenever you think it's going somewhere, it'll cut to some, you know the medical center with everyone sitting around talking. Then it'll cut to the crooks, the muggers showing up at the police station. Then it'll cut to leaping up the elevator shaft. Then it'll cut to Wolfman Jack talking about the the way the emergency broadcast system works for two minutes. It's just like Glenn A. Larson was like, he he just like he just kept like spinning a wheel, you know. And instead of going scene by scene, he was like, okay, where do we go now? Police stations, elevator shafts, and it just has this weird, um, it just when you think whenever yeah whenever you think it's going somewhere, suddenly we're with, we're somewhere else, you know. Mm-hmm. And you you think like it would be. The Cylons and Wolfman Jack and Troy and Dylan, but it's not. There's so many other things that keep popping up and appearing throughout. I mean, like the the Hanna Barbera show, whatever the hell that was, you know, and the uh, the scene with the muggers. I mean, ten years before this, when the Beverly Hillbillies first visited 
uh, New York City, I think those same exact muggers came after them. <laughs> yeah, like they're, they're all the, the all the hipsters that are going yeah. to the coffee shop with the uh, beatniks and all that. You know, yeah. they got that kind of vibe. You know, try to quote. Uh, Shakespeare's, but also too, this was another thing that was great. Like we're dealing with a radio station, so we hear a lot of sound-alikes in this. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. like you heard uh, Billy Joel. I mean, that might have been the version that they used for Bosom Buddies. Hint, oh, hint. Yeah. <laughs> and they did like a Doobie Brothers. They did mm-hmm. Linda Ronstadt. And I have to say, watching this episode, it seems like Glenn likes to throw a little education in there somewhere. Yeah, like he was definitely how things are right, and that is true. You know, they have like the automatic thing where it's like oh then when this is over you get put to this other one and you get to put to this other one mm-hmm. it's all automated from this time to this time so that means you know could that mean also that Clint Eastwood's uh, shift was bullshit over in the play Misty for me who knows you know <laughs> he probably would have prevented him having any danger and he would have still yeah. had that pa- that freaky painting of him from that movie <laughs> But it, it, so so you can you can watch it in one of two ways. You can watch it in the way where this episode ain't going anywhere fast. Enjoy. It's a Halloween episode, so just enjoy it as a fun holiday goofy episode with a lot of people in costumes jumping all over the place. You get a little bit of everything. Um, but you can also watch it as sitting here going, "Come on, come on, Glenn. You you have in these two episodes, you have about thirty minutes of story that you've stretched into close to ninety, and." It's it's funny because the like I said the first time I watched it I kind I had fun with it and then when I sat down to actually take notes on it I was like oh god he it's, it's like it keeps stopping and starting and stopping and starting and and if you're in the right frame of mind it's a lot of fun if you're if you want to see a show that you hoped would be moving in a solid direction you ain't seeing that here. That ain't happening here. And I'll be, I'll be honest. I, I did, I did find whenever it cut to that the cops, I lost a little interest. That that's that, that's the storyline that kept losing me because it's basically a, uh, it's basically a guy from you know the the military saying, uh, yes, this could be something UFO related, and a cop going in New York City, yeah, and, and a lot of repeating dialogue. If you notice that, yeah. and not only that, I said, look, Reverend Snow, I said, give us a prayer at least, you know, while you're in that military <laughs> costume, damn it, you know. It's so so, and there's although though my my favorite weird moment that I could see, and I don't I don't know if this is something you'd been able to see on your TV or whether this is something the high def of the Blu-ray brings out, but the first time the military guy visits the cops. And right around the time of fire from his fingers, the military guy's leaving the office and by I want the, that on a shirt, by the way. By, by the right side of the doorway, there are several like clipboards hanging there with just writing on them. And the one sitting closest to the door says in big block capital letters, rape. Ah! <laughs> It was just the weird. It was, weird oh it was the weirdest thing because like the military guy's leaving and the other guy sitting is just going fire coming out of his fingers and I watched the military guy coming out of his fingers and all you could see rape and I thought who put that right there like that like like this is the this is a very this is either just Galactica nineteen eighty just having fun or it's Glenn A Larson completely checked out one of the or, two maybe they're the same thing. Why couldn't police squad pick up on something like that? Is exactly, my question. Exactly. I mean, this is either the the funniest. This this either shows that um, Galactica nineteen eighty could have been a very funny and just goofy show, 
or it's Glenn A. Larson just like whatever, and just writing whatever came to his mind. Maybe getting distracted. No but one's watching, put, so guess what? You know, it's... Yeah, exactly. Just he's just having fun with it. But whoever put the 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 rape clipboard right by the door wasn't doing anyone any favors. I don't you know. Did, you didn't see that on Quark. No, you did. You did not. You did not. No, no. The uh, and. And there, there, there are a lot of fun bits back and forth, and, and generally it's an enjoyable. I, I just think, like I said, I think when it cuts to the cops, that slows me down, just because I think we don't need that. We kind of that's one thing too many with all the people in the hospital, Wolfman Jack talking and talking. The cops felt like a one uh, storyline we were following too many, but um, uh, but it's it's overall overall I think in the right frame of mind. It's a fun episode. In the wrong frame of mind, it might annoy you. Yeah, and not only that, but also Captain Doby has a partner named Grover. And he looks absolutely nothing like the Muppet. No, not at He's all. He's gray-haired, uh, but I said, you know, we could have we used, like, a Sesame Street cameo in this one, you know. Like, I, oh, Grover, will show you to the spaceman. I do wonder how many fires they have in that apartment building. Because did you notice the way they treated the fire? Because it's basically he... The, the the human uh, Cylon shoots whatever it is they have in the microwave. Whatever's inside the microwave bursts into flames. There, it's a controlled fire at that moment, and everyone instead of saying, "Okay, let's put out the fire," they immediately say, "Oh, there's a fire! I'll call the fire department." Everyone leave, and everyone leaves. And <laughs> well, it's like the fire hasn't gone anywhere yet. You know, yeah, well, it's like it's like if 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 someone like I. I you know, like there was there was one time where I was in an office a long time ago where someone put like tin foil like in in the microwave, yeah. and I was standing right by when it burst into flame, yeah. and I leaned over, I unplugged the microwave, filled the bowl up with water, doused the the thing, and it was done. It let off a lot of smoke, and it was it was stingy, like it didn't let off the alarm. But I thought, wouldn't you do that rather than just being like, well, time to evacuate the you know the twelve story apartment building because our microwave's on fire, and then by the time everyone leaves. The fire has spread to the sink and the you know and everything's on fire. It's like surely. That's why I is said that double fire. Yeah, double exactly. fire. You know, but, but like I said, you know, you had basically the the, the thing of meatballs went kaboom, and it, well, it was going to go kaboom anyway if you didn't have a laser. But <laughs> yes. now that you have it, now it's a bigger thing. Not only that, it's that one week that they're shooting this that Randy Mantooth is not available. <laughs> yes, exactly. I did, I did. I did notice the other thing. I did because I just had a play here that everyone storms out immediately. Oh, call the fire department! Everyone out! Everyone goes out except Wolfman and the two Cylons. They stand there in the kitchen talking for like another thirty seconds. And I hey, thought, Brian. guys, guys, why not put out the fire? I mean, I know you're. They got to fill in the dialogue. They got to fill in a lot of stuff there. That this is Wolfman's appearance here. You know, we got to make the most of it. Exactly. So, so I mean, at at the end of the day, like, 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 I think, like you said, this, it's a, it's a, it. It seen the right lines. It's it's a very it's a very fun episode, but there's still no direction to it because technically, since they stopped these two Cylons or these two Cylons leap in a dumpster, whatever the hell they do, yeah. um, maybe like ten episodes from now we'd see like on a on a garbage barge or something like that out out on the uh, we just see like the two Cylons pop up from a pile of garbage <laughs> or in the dump or something like that, or um, on the outside of the dumpster. They would say, well, a few of them did make it to Earth, and in, on the outside of them, it said, uh, Cylon was here, like either yes. in graffiti or like <laughs> a sign or something. Yep. And I'll yeah. be like, oh, say, oh, yeah, that's right. Remember the episode where it was a Halloween thing and a Cylon and the human guy oh, were. Yes. Uh, yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, uh, you know, the, the moment they go, the moment they run inside 
the doorway and there's a big poster that says, Oh, you kids. You just think, <laughs> okay, what's going on? And then all of a sudden there's Hong Kong Fooey, there's all these characters dancing around, zippity doo down. Uh-huh. You're thinking, what on earth? is happening right now and oh, then they're in their white tuxedos dancing and they're turning invisible and <laughs> pleasurable yeah. randomosity that yes. you don't know what yeah. mind this came from but you say hell i'm freaking loving it you know yes exactly at the at the end of the day because i think i think like it was like the the first part has too much of a delaying like mm. get, get on with it but now this one they're getting on with it but they're also you know i applaud the fact that they they feel like, so the Cylons were in a building where there was a party and there was a fire and there's a police investigation. I applaud the fact that instead of just following the, the antagonist and the protagonist, we follow everybody. You know, it's mm. like a Kurt Vonnegut novel or an Altman film. We got to follow everybody. Mm. So, so in some respects, it's a lot of fun. It, it really it really is a fun goofy episode and I would kind of like to see if there's a, like a European edited together version where maybe like Maybe the first half works better connected could to the be. second or something. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, it could be. So what else do you have on this one? I'm going to check my notes there, Wolfman. Uh, and I think the last thing, I two things. Number one, we have the disclaimer at the end about UFOs. Oh, yes, of course. The blue bot. Bo- I mean, this, 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 is, this, is, this is like the disclaimer, like like Dragnet would throw something up like this. And you're like, you know, be very warned after we said what the... After we, we had this prisoner, you know, with this statement, you know, this is not depicted on a actual person. This is merely a, a work of television. And Jack Webb has too big of a place and way too many televisions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For anybody who's just seen his estate, the guy had six televisions. Don't know why. And none of them were shot out by Elvis. And wow. the, but also to, to the muggers at the end credits, they're quoted as toughs. toughs. Tough number one. Tough number two. Tough and- number three. And when they, none of them had a name, you know? And when they arrive at the police station, the main guy has a really big hickey. I guess right. we know what these guys like doing in between mugging. Come on, oh, Paulie, oh, yeah. give me one right here. Give well, me they one must... right here, Paulie. Okay, Stan. Dup, 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 dup. <laughs> well, they must know where the belfries are over in New York. <laughs> so, you know, because they certainly have the markings of possible bets. You know, yes. So. <laughs> so I do have a note here. What is it? From the dumpster where it says the, he, they died like the trash they were. I think I was misquoting. I was right misquoting, the dumpster. I was misquoting Blood Feast, the end of Blood Feast, when uh, Fuad Ramses goes like the garbage he was, or whatever they say. Oh, uh, Fooey. Oh, oh, I will say, my actually, a, a moment I absolutely love, just a pop culture moment, absolutely. when Wolfman is talking to a bunch of kids. One of the little girls has a, looks like, um, I forget what those costumes were called, the one with the plastic masks and the smocks. Ben yes. Cooper. Oh, oh ben uh, was that the Ben Cooper? Yeah. Yes. One of the girls has a 1976 King Kong costume. Oh, my. She, oh, we're she we're does, really referencing a trade center over here. I'm telling yes, you. she doesn't have the mask on, just the smock. But there's Kong holding on to the building, and I think he's got like a he's holding on to the building with one hand, he's got like a plane in the other. <laughs> That's so, funny that you say smock because one year I actually was a Ben Cooper Spock at one time too. Oh, so, nice! That's no nice. joke. Yeah, Just yeah. Like, I just I I used to love those costumes, but all, all I remember is that thing where you would um when you would wear the mask, there was just that little rectangle for your mouth, and you stick yes. your stick your tongue in it, you'd cut your tongue. Or you oh. know, it would be good if you had to have some coffee. Because it would be kind of like the same opening, like Dunkin' Donuts, yeah, exactly. like that small little like opening there. Yeah. So uh, I don't really have anything else on this one. I mean, it really is. Um, 
it's a it's about as superficial as you can get. It's just people running around and filling up time, and it and it's one of those things where like in the end, the moment the Cylons go fall in the dumpster, it's kind of like, well, it's all over. There you go. Let's Um So anything else on this one? Because I think I'm actually okay. I'm pretty much done on that one. Like I said, I sum it up. Fun show. This is a fun fun episode. You know, regardless of what direction it's going in or the lack of one. So. Yes, exactly, exactly, yeah. I don't know if, I mean, maybe it just was something where at this point, Glenn A. Larson was like, well, I have no idea anymore. <laughs> I think we're going to be canceled shortly. <laughs> I'm just going to have fun with the Halloween episode and, and just put a lot of a lot of actors I like in it doing a lot of silly things. Mm. And, so. and God love them for it, yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So, um, uh, uh, Mr. Blyce, uh, where, yes, where can we find you online? Oh, what are you up to? What's going oh, what on? What am I? Uh, a lot of different projects, uh, a lot of different things, uh, enjoyable things, good and uh, yeah, good thing, you know, good things away from because you know talking about the other side of that is too boring. But um, but you know, for anybody that wants to be informed of what I'm up to or how I'm doing it or you know what kind of path that you might want to follow, you can follow me on uh, Letterboxd. Uh, uh, what was it the X, I guess we can't call it Twitter anymore, but, you know. Yeah, it's, good old X. Yeah, good old X, yeah. And Instagram as CaptainBly76. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can also find me on Facebook, uh, www.facebook.com slash CaptainBly. Yes. So C-A-P-T-A-I-N-B-L-I-G-H, for those of you that need to have it spelled out. There you go, and you can rewind this podcast just to get a little clarity. And uh, that's basically we could uh, keep in touch with me, see what I'm up to, and uh, what might be happening next at just about any time. So. Excellent, excellent. Uh, thank you again, and that was uh, that was episode eight. We got two more Galactica 1980s now. I don't remember if any of the other ones have fire from fingers, <laughs> but they might. I don't think they, they – no, I don't think so. Uh, maybe. You'll find out soon. So um, uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. And, um, geez, I'm trying to remember. Oh, next up, a little bit of Monster Squad. Hello, everyone. Welcome to uh, the discussion of the second episode of Monster Squad. Uh, I'm by myself on this one, going solo. Uh, this is the episode Mr. Mephisto from September 18th, 1976, written by Herbert Finn and Alan Dinehart, directed by Wes Kenny. And in this one, um, an evil uh, doll-making genius named uh, Mr. Mephisto uh, kidnaps uh, the mayor of Metro Town, where, um, where this takes place. Met- I just said Metro, uh, the Mayor Goldwyn and um, replaces him with a giant doll who raises the property taxes a thousand percent and uh, they have to, uh, the Monster Squad and and Walt have to do whatever they can to stop everyone from losing their homes and that's that's what happens here and they also have to stop Dracula and the Frankenstein Monster from being made into sausages but that's maybe something else I'll talk about in a moment now again as I said I am am by myself on this one, Madeline will be joining me, Madeline will be joining me when she can she's not actually a fan of the show. She just happened to be there when I was watching the first episode, so I'm going to try to get her on many episodes as I can, but uh, she's out of town at the moment, so I uh, I cannot... Uh, I can't... It's just me. So so I will tell you real quick my uh, my story with how I first saw the Monster Squad. I, I never heard of the Monster Squad. Um, 
But yeah, during the 70s, I mean, there was the uh, the Ghostbusters, and then earlier on, of course, uh, the Groovy Ghoulies, Sabrina and the Groovy Ghoulies, and then um, uh, this show, and then around 1980 was Drac Pack. I vaguely remember Drac Pack. And I think um, the Ghostbusters, I, I think they were still showing the Ghostbusters in, like, late Saturday morning, early Saturday afternoon, sort of that, that vague, I think I talked about this with, like, Sabrina and the Groovy Ghoulies, that sort of vague spot where, like, the... the um, the cartoons where I were, uh, I was, they were basically like it was eight to eleven. Some of them started at seven, but it was basically eight to eleven, and then after eleven, you started getting live action stuff. And I think Ghostbusters was on in there, but I never saw Monster Squad until about maybe fifteen years ago. I happened to find it somewhere, and there was one episode, the last episode someone had posted online and I watched it and enjoyed it and thought well I'll never find that and then like two months later it came out on DVD so I have the DVD set and then it's come out again on DVD and um, I quite enjoy the set and I actually I was going to cover this with a guest someone who actually loves the show and collects the merchandise there was some fun merchandise in the show um, several several years ago I was supposed to uh, to have them on here but they they, they flaked on me several times to the point where I just said to heck with it and one day I'll cover the show myself and occasionally Madeline will be joining me so yeah so I'm here to talk about today Mr. Mephisto the second episode of Monster Squad this episode is less involved than the previous one where the Queen Bee wanted to take over the world this one is basically yeah Mephisto's a guy he's got he, he builds dolls well we say he builds dolls the the only dolls we see is is the the um, Mayor Goldwyn um, Mayor of Metro, uh, Mayor Gold, Mayor Goldwyn doll, who basically speaks exactly what he, they, he, there's, um, he has like a typewriter that's labeled a la Batman style, um, and he types stuff into the typewriter and the mayor says exactly what, uh, he types, which is raising property taxes a thousand percent and you have like 24 hours to pay and of course that's, you know, that's craziness. And the, the only other two dolls, we, I mean, we see dolls, in the room, Mephisto's headquarters, we see a lot of those great, those bop things, you know, like the, they were like like inflatable things with a little weight on the bottom, and you, when you were a kid, you would punch them, and they go over and come back up, and I, I think I had one that had Mr. Spock on it, or maybe not, I forget, but a lot of them had clowns on it, and you see a lot of the ones with clowns on it here, and they also have like a, a slide that comes into Mephisto's a hideout and also a giant like what is it like a dry cleaning sausage machine or something like that i don't know um, it's a, it's a it's a little later in the episode and we meet officer mac 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 in this one uh who is um the vaguely uh, sort of irish guy who i thought was a night watchman but i guess he's a police officer and he very casually sort of uh, you know, closes down the wax museum when they can't pay the property taxes. Excited to get everyone thrown. Oh, here's the machine. It's the handy dandy self cleaning sausage maker, and he's going to put um, Frank and Dracula into it. It's a very strange machine because the way it is is um, Dracula and Frankenstein are strapped down on like conveyor belts on either end of it. And in the center, there's this little, not very large. Sp- covered space where presumably all the knives and the sausage preparation stuff is and they're going to just roll they're going to roll head first Frankie and Dracula in on either side apparently it's so um it works so well that they they're not going to bump heads at any point even though I can't it doesn't look like it's more than like three feet or something like that I'm not sure why he's making sausages out of them that's never explained but I'm sure there's a great reason for it 
So yeah, Mephisto's dolls and sausage. I, I maybe there's a joke in there I don't get. You know, like I get the I get the mayor Goldwyn, the you know the, um, you know mayor of Metro. I get that, but I don't I don't know if I fully understand the um the, the cleaning sausage thing and stuff like that. And um, maybe it means something. But yeah, we meet Officer Mac Mac too. Yeah, it all begins it all begins in the wax museum, the basement of the wax museum, and the mayor is going to um, praise the previous mayor. But these these two, but I, I'm sorry, I keep keep stopping. The other dolls we see are Mephisto has two female dolls in kind of like slinky dresses and with really goofy uh, wigs on. They look like they're sort of huge wigs. They remind me of those wigs. If you've ever seen SCTV, there's a great short bit about um, great co- uh, commercial. I think it's from the from the uh, like the second or third season or something like that. It's with Catherine O'Hara where she plays a woman who has this hairspray that she sprays on and makes her hair into like a helmet. So at one point she's sitting at her mirror putting makeup on and she's got this huge helmet of hair and she turns her head and the and the hair doesn't move. So she's like inside the helmet like it's a giant hat. That's kind of what the hair looks like that these women have. And they're these dolls, these attractive dolls and they, they hypnotize the mayor and they bring out the doll mayor and they hypnotize Frank and Dracula. And then the final fight, everyone has to cover their eyes so they don't get hypnotized by the lady dolls. They look kind of goofy with the the wigs on, to be honest. And um, which, you know, I suppose is all part of the fun. One of the dolls is Arlene. One of the dolls is Baby, Baby Arlene. Does that? I I think some of the things I don't fully get here, um, but that's okay. It's part of the fun, right? We live and we learn and we love. And over, over I mean, overall, it's a fine episode. The, the 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 best part about it is the thing with the property tax, because if you you know if you've ever as a kid. I I don't think that would have really registered for I I would have just probably heard something like taxes going up a thousand percent and you can't pay you got it, but then hearing property taxes you're like oh god you know this being made in L A and I live in L A I can tell you property taxes out here are are ridiculous, and raising them a thousand percent would put a lot of people out of their homes yeah definitely it's already foolishness um so hearing that it's like ugh, it's it's like it's like it, it, it reminds I, I immediately thought of um amityville horror you know where they say that um uh you know they say the house wasn't really haunted it was the the lutzes moving into this big house and discovering that they couldn't pay for it and so they came up with this elaborate thing to um get themselves out of it without having to worry about the mortgage or foreclosure or anything like that and there's a, there's a low budget version of uh, Amityville Horror, Satan War, one of the segments of the movie Satan War, and that's kind of the same thing where the people they put all their money into this house, and they refuse to leave because they put all their money into it and all their savings into it, and they won't leave, and uh, they seem to have the money, whereas the Lutzes may or may not, and they, that's a big part in Amityville Horror, isn't it? Isn't that, or is that just the book or in the movie? I haven't seen the movie in so long. Where, like the money for the mortgage or whatever disappears. Am I making that up? I could be. Anyway. Yeah, that's my favorite part of this property, the property taxes thing. The rest of it is is fine. Um, it's funny, I do love this show, but um, I, it's weird they kind of um, they kind of start off with it. Um, uh, I mean, the Queen Bees episode is okay. This episode is okay. I think they they start off with some weaker episodes and then they get stronger because this is this is fun. There's not there's really not much to it. I mean, it's the 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 mayor is replaced. He makes the announcement. Mac Mac shows up to throw one out. Um, Frank is, Frankie and Drac are tied to the machine. Uh, Bruce the werewolf breaks in, frees everyone. 
Um, Walt shows up. They have a big crazy fight involving lots of pillows and feathers and those, like I said, those bouncy punching bag things. And then the end, they they throw pillowcases over the the doll women's heads so they can't hypnotize everyone. They go other way. I'll, I'll be honest. As I've said last time, they can't show violence at this point. So the final fight is basically just swinging pillows and those punching bags and hitting each other with them. And um, I, I didn't find it particularly interesting watching that in this episode. As much fun as it is when it's all over and like feathers are constantly falling from the ceiling and such. Um, the uh, you know they fr- finally free the mayor. Uh, you know the the ground is covered with property tax money and stuff like that. You know that that's all that's all fine and fun and dandy. Um, but the actual like like the crazy music playing and the cameras just moving around real quick and everyone's hitting each other with pillows and the punching bag things and everything is going all crazy. For some reason, I found it more um, exhausting than fun. I seem to think there are better fights to, to be had in the future. But yeah, it's overall, it's, it's, it's an okay episode. I mean, if, if, you like the Mon- if you like Monster Squad, all 13 episodes are fun. This, this isn't one of the best. I don't know that I show this to someone to kind of like introduced in the show. I don't think I show them Queen Bee either. Um, but then Queen Bee was the one the network chose to show, so maybe that worked. Queen Bee has the weirdness with the bees in it and all the bee jokes and the honey and the bear. So Qu- Queen Bee, I think in the end, is kind of a much more active episode than this. Yeah, like I said, this is basically kidnap the mayor, the announcement, sausage machine, fight. That's really all it is. Whereas Queen Bee, there's a lot more to it. So you can kind of see why that was. Maybe they thought this was one of the weaker ones. They threw this in after the second one. I don't know. Like I said, it's not It's not a bad episode. If you like the episodes, it's a fun episode. There are a few laughs. It's fun to watch. It's not boring. But it's not um, It's not great. I don't, I don't, it's, it's interesting in that um, the previous episode, Count Dracula is sent to talk to Queen Bee because he's Count Dracula and he's you know a famous monster and she's a famous bee and you know that's for, but but in this one there's no there's no real reason for it to be the Monster Squad it could just be anyone going in and doing this there, there's nothing I mean apart from Frankie spinning around with the pillowcases and whacking um, Walt in the head and knocking him into Dracula which is an amusing moment there's really nothing in this that's I mean be it known that for all time the city will be indebted to that heroic threesome known as the monster squad wherever they may be the mayor uh, gives that to them and there's there's a cool bit in the end where they all kind of wink at the camera and smile and but there's a nice bit too early on where officer McMacmac shows up and the monsters are kind of just like playing cards and they all run back into their positions in the wax museum and they're all just a little bit off they're they're not quite they're not quite right drac hasn't made it all the way in to the um the the sort of the position that he's supposed to i mean sorry frank hasn't made it sort of all the way into the position he's supposed to be in and um drac and 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 bruce still have cards in their hands yeah oh and it occurs to me to baby and arlene it's baby doll is it would be the name of the kathy worthington is baby doll mindy miller is arlene doll paul smith is officer mcmacmac so it's, it's fun, and there, there's enough running around, and they're monsters, and even if the monsters don't really do anything all that monstery, it's, it's generally, it's, it's a fun episode. It's not a great episode. Um, I think, I seem to remember very clearly when I was watching this, that I watched the Queen Bee episode, and it was kind of, eh, and then I watched this one, and I was a bit, eh, but I think it's the next one or the one after that, where things really get great. And then what you do is you kind of get to the end, and then kind of just loop back around and watch these early ones again, because then you kind of like, oh, now I now I see the fun in it. But um, yeah, I think the next one is is the Tickler. I seem to remember the Tickler being um, uh, more more sort of fun 
than this one. This one's uh, Mr. Mephisto is okay, but it's not great. Queen B is better. Then Queen B is not a favorite of mine either. So sorry, it sounds like I'm I'm sort of denigrating the show, but no, no, no. I actually I love the show. I'm just this is the same way. Whenever I watch the show, it's kind of like uh, you know cliffhangers. You know, remember that is like cliffhangers gets better as it goes. So when you get to the end, you're like, wow, that was great. But those early episodes are sort of like as everything is being set up and things are being put into place. It's sort of like. It's not a chore to watch it, but it's not as much fun as it is to watch it later on. So I'll stop talking right here because we have to go from here to the final episode of a very special show about a very special wolf boy. No, not Bruce. Not the wolf man. This is the wolf boy who became a human wolf, uh, whatever. Let's go on to the final episode of Lucan. Final episode, Season 2, Episode 4, December 4th, 1978, Thunder God Gold, directed by Hollingsworth Morse, written by Kerry Wilburn, Margaret Stewart, and in this one, it, it takes place out in the desert, uh, there's a Native American tribe, there are a bunch of old grizzled prospectors, and there is apparently a, uh, a mine, uh, a very profitable mine nearby that a bunch of people are after. And Lucan is there uh, because he may or may not have another lead regarding whatever it is he's after in this episode. And, of course, our favorite um, cop who's not a bounty hunter type guy shows up and all kinds of stuff happens. And and Gretchen Corbett, which is awesome. So we, we go into great detail about it in the episode. But, yeah, it's just, so there's mines and um, hiding and, and running around and... So, yeah, so there's hiding and, and running around and Prentice and all kinds of stuff. Well, then let's listen to a little, little blast. Let me give you a little blast. And then Amanda and I will be on the other side. <clears throat> bum, bum. Thunder God Gold, the final episode, season two, episode four of Lucan. We're in 1978. Next week, no more Lucan. I didn't look up to see what, uh, what show replaced it, but I know what show didn't replace it. San Pedro Beach Bums, and also Lucan. Yeah. But I'm here, we're talking Thunder God Gold, and one more time, getting on the Lucan merry-go-round. There will be no Lucan, but uh, in our <laughs> hearts, Lucan will always be there. Uh, Amanda Reyes. Amanda, how are you? I'm sad today. Yeah, yeah. We're going to, we're going to, well, let's talk about the episode, then we'll talk about our general thoughts on Lucan, and if, if we, I may, I may put in a, minute, a moment of silence for yeah. Lucan, wherever he is, because in the end, we never, you know, un- unless we get that Lucan uh, motion picture that they keep talking about, that'll wrap up the storyline, we're never going to know exactly what happened to Lucan, which is too no. bad. I, now I say that I'm making myself sad. There must be flash fiction somewhere. I would bet there is. I would bet there is. Um, the uh, so well, let's go. What did you What did you think about Thunder God Gold? I like this one a lot. I mean, pretty much if you stick Gretchen Corbett in anything, mm-hmm. forget it. I'm down Amen. for the count. And then you throw a Matt Clark on top of it, and I'm I'm here. 
Especially Matt Clark is a semi-swarthy, sexy guy, which I'm not used to. I'm used to him being sort of like the frumpy Martin Sheen lookalike. <laughs> and um, I was not expecting that. And, uh, <laughs> and I was really pleasantly surprised. Um, this is a really fun episode. It's, a, it's an interesting episode to make the last one, I think, because we're starting to really get into Prentice's, like, motives. Yeah. For his passion for pursuing Lucan, which he sort of... Uh, Eschews this idea that it's for money or for like the glory of it. It's for something else, and he knows something that we never gets revealed. And I was expecting him to do the Luke, I'm your father thing. <laughs> I thought that for a second too. Yeah. Yeah, or at least to say I have some tip of where your parents are, mm-hmm. or I know you're innocent. It's one of those, right? Yes, yeah. And uh, it's probably I know you're innocent. It's highly unlikely he's his dad, but that would have been a great twist. That would have been a twist. That would have been the man chasing him. Is yeah. His dad. Wow. I just found out. I just found out. I just checked some. I just I was reading something, and there it was. Whew. Yeah, and, but it had it had such great components to this. It's not my favorite in the series, but I, I feel like the show ended on a pretty strong note. It's yeah. a pretty good episode. It's really fun. It's got a, a story that makes sense and doesn't. It's got a lot of great character <laughs> yeah, actors yeah, yeah. like Sandy McPeak and Regis Philbin shows up for two seconds <laughs> yeah. and and whatever. But like, um, I feel like it's really good. It's really atmospheric. Um, it's fun. I and of course, like I said, I love Gretchen Corbin. She's great yes. in this. Mm-hmm. She's great in this, and um, and it's not a bad send off considering that they probably didn't know no. that this was their send off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it there there is something about it that seems slightly overcomplicated. Yeah, but that's uh, a lot of those kinds of shows. Yeah, yeah, where where they're 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 trying to um, they're 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 doing like variations on things we've seen on TV a dozen or more times before so they're adding extra elements and they're putting this in and then suddenly you're halfway in the episode and you're starting to lose track of what exactly is happening and then suddenly there's always like this is one of those episodes where there was a point somewhere in there where I thought wait what's going on and I suddenly didn't realize why anyone was doing anything and the end I'm still not 100% sure why anyone was doing anything but it doesn't really matter because it's about Lucan and Prentice at the end of the day the story is just a, a, a way to sort of uh, build those characters rather than yeah. having them just encounter one another and sit in a room like a pinter play, you know, uh, just talk to one another for 45 minutes. That would have been amazing, though. Did you ever see that movie Report to the Commissioner with Michael Moriarty? Yeah. And you remember time, they yeah. get trapped, him and the drug dealer uh-huh. get trapped in the elevator for like yes. half the film? Like, I would have loved something like that. But I, I would bet that would have that would have been something cool to see, like, near the end of the series, just an episode where maybe um, they because there's so many moments in here I mean like this has it the previous episode has it fake father letters and fake mm, yeah. sort of things so just one where maybe they both get a fake father letter and they go to a cabin in the middle of nowhere and maybe there's a snowstorm they can't get out so they're there and, and there's no one there whoever sent the letter didn't show up because of the blizzard so it's just the two of them in this place surviving for the night unable to go anywhere just talking hanging out, discussing, you know, and, and you know, and in the, at the end of the day, Prentice would still probably try to arrest Lucan, but we'd know, I mean, it's pretty, at the end of this one, we kind of know what Prentice's thing is. It's it's very much, I think we've said before, it's very much a, the, the fugitive with, you know, Harrison Ford, I didn't kill my wife, I don't care. It's sort of like that. And, um, uh, except less Academy Award winning. Yeah. Lucan. Hey. Uh, well, well, you know, it could have. Yeah, gosh, could you imagine if there was a full season of Lucan? He could have swept the Emmys that year. It, it could have. Mm. 
the I, I will say there there is one thing uh, on my theory that Lucan's not really walking too far. Uh, it, is that this one starts off and it, it purports to be like in sort of a, a, a Native American reservation and it's sort of in mining country but the opening shot is a pan uh, over of like the hills you see in like every episode of MASH and like Dukes of Hazard, you know like Hazard County yeah, yeah. is just over the next batch of trees right there so it's like I don't know that you're fooling anyone that's right outside of LA I think they shot Star Trek Insurrection there you know, and it's like you're you're not really fooling anyone, but God bless for trying. I like it. I, I like it too. Oh no, no, it's fun. It's it's just um, I I I call I I say that supports my theory that Lucan really isn't going that far, and maybe that's a thing. Like if these are all fake things, maybe the people who are doing it are like, I like. Well, we live too far away to get them all to come out. You know, but I've I've got a friend who doesn't live too far from that last place he was at. We'll have them write a letter. We know Prentice lives near there, and Luca is probably not too far because he's walking. So let's do that. I'd love to see a map. Someone draw if 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 Lucan had gone out for seasons, we were at Lucan seventeen. Yeah. There would be a huge map on the wall of the U.S., maybe Canada, maybe even Mexico. Who knows? Maybe even other countries after the show ran for six or seven years and and someone would have made a map like this red line is season one the blue line is season two you know green line is season three and you could see exactly where he went in each season i like this more the more i talk about it and yeah it i think you and i would have been guests at lucan we would have been i i'd like to say um they always had trouble getting Kevin Brophy to show up the one time they did we'd be the moderators for the interview oh be the best wouldn't that be awesome that would be fantastic. So you were in Time Walker. Yeah, you were in Time Walker. Check that out, man. Oh, what, cool. So, so what was what's Linda Blair like? Um, yeah, did you, Ben Murphy? Did, you met did, Ben Murphy? Could you did, talk about that? Did you, Did you ever go to the Van Patten barbecues? <laughs> oh man. Yeah, we have the best questions. Oh, <laughs> it would be like Chris Farley's talk show. So, like in Hill Night, did you get gorked out? <laughs> We want to know. <laughs> did you, did you, when you're on a set, do you make friends with everybody? Does everybody, do, do they call you the brof? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so this, I've, were, were you talking about, did you like, you liked it? Did I like it? I forgot. I'm not sure if you liked it or oh, not, to be honest. I just, I, just, I, I think it's, I think it's a, it's an, a, it's an above average, not, not, not maybe excellent, but an above average episode of this yeah. sort of thing for the time. It does yeah. everything it needs to do well. It keeps things moving. Sometimes that's from overcomplication, which is not a favorite way of mine to keep things moving, unless you're Christopher Nolan or something. Um, but uh, and and um, and this is directed by the great Hollingsworth Morse, who made a thousand and one things. Yes, he did. And it always always has a. It's always nice when you see when you see a name you know on something like this. You know that there's there's like a guiding hand behind it, even if it is. A bit generic here and there, but this one does get a bit too nutty at times to, to I think, to call it generic. Um, but uh, but but there's a guiding hand behind it. You you know you you know you 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 can trust the you can trust it when you're watching it, even if it does get a bit off some sometimes. But uh, um, so yeah. quick oh, question. Yeah. Did you think that all that time they left Prentice out underneath that rock, he would have died of exposure? Um. 
I think if he got under the yeah, if if he well, got, he was exposed for a good part. Like he moved he away was. so he could make eye contact with Lucan, and he was turning red. Like Don Gordon yeah. was turning red. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, dude's not going to make it. No, I I I did get worried about that. I, I what I was hoping was that the moment Lucan left, yeah, he he went in the shade, and the night fell, and it got cold quick. So he was able to maybe he got very chilly, and and when when Lucan comes back in the morning, he's maybe. Not doing great, but he is still... Yeah, I did worry about him, actually. I thought, gosh, I hope he's okay. And then when they kind of came back, he seemed to be exactly the same. He's still that beat red. Yeah, so so I, I guess he's okay. I, I, I don't want to think that the episodic television of the 70s would lead me astray. I think he'd be just fine. Good, okay. I was, yeah, I was a little concerned. And uh, I, I do, I, as you mentioned, uh, yeah, anything with Gretchen Corbin in it. She kind of, um, she kind of uh, is kind of tomboy in this one, in her jeans and shirt and everything, and she's, you know, uh, she's adorable. I've thought a lot about Gretchen Corbett's career lately, and uh, and it's interesting that you and I covered one of her movies, She's Dressed to Kill, where she played the quote-unquote ugly one, <laughs> which is ridiculous. And then, yeah. But then she was also famous for being in that Columbo episode with Robert Conrad she, yeah. in the bikini. In the bikini, yes, exactly. Where she You're looks like, amazing, yowza. and it's and it's like it's like in here she's just sort of like you said kind of more tomboyish and it's kind of interesting the way she's been able to like she's a really good actress because yes. just those three roles she's diverse in all of them like it's not that she just looks different in the roles but she like feels different like it's a different yeah. character and she's really good and she was of course Beth Davenport on yes and she's um, great her and her and James yeah, Garner Rutherford together is, yeah, is and, great and, great chemistry there whenever they're together it's super I feel fun. like she's just this unheralded sort of Yes. Talent that nobody ever talks about. And then she pops up and let's scare Jessica to death. And you're yes, like, what? that's an early role, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and then she's she, on Magnum. And, and she and plays an she, ugly duckling again. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny. Like if you if you're in an episode of, of television where Robert Conrad walks around in a bathing suit, just shorts, and Gretchen Corbin shows up in a bikini, and you don't know where to look, <laughs> then that's then that's something. Because when Conrad's on there, you know where to look. And yeah, so it was. Some, it was like it's a famous role on Columbo that yeah. like uh, like not just men talk about, but like it's a very like famous moment where this like really extraordinarily attractive woman like shows up at the door and Columbo has to talk to her, and I think he does not even phase by it, but like the audience was, which is probably the point of that scene. Yes, mm-hmm. you know, and um and so it's kind of just amazing the way she just embodies all of these different kinds of yes. characteristics and can be really pretty and sexual, and also be like kind of buttoned up and it's like uh. Um, introverted. She's just she's great. She's she's great. I I um she she was in in the early '80s. She was in a horror film that I can't remember the name hmm. of. She was in she was in something that I have on Blu-ray that I didn't know she was in. I think I'm thinking of her. Yeah, I'm thinking of her because I remember watching, going, "Hey!" But damn it, I should have looked it up. I it's wish the there Corbett. was some way. I, I wish there was that, something like IMDb. I wish there was some way I could look it up, but I can't, folks. I can't. Um, uh, what was I talking about? Oh, we're talking about Gretchen Corbett. She's awesome. She was on Trapper John. She's on Trapper John. Jaws uh, of Satan. Was it Jaws of Satan? That was it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. I, and I know because that's on a that's on a Blu-ray with something like Food of the Gods or something. I'm not like going to look that up. Um, but it's uh, she's on the, and and that was the the lesser of the two movies when I bought the Blu-ray. But then at the moment I saw she was in, I thought, oh, awesome. Yeah, she's just she's a highlight. You know, there's just some actors where they show up in something like Robert Forrester, you know, who I love, 
And you're just yes. like, this is going to be good, even if it's not. Yeah, you, you, you kind of, you, you sort of, I, I guess, um, it's, it's like in the previous episode, when you see Smithers there, and you see the dad, and then you see the guy playing the lawyer, it's like, each one of those is like, ugh, ugh. Ugh. But but with this, the, she's one of those people who you you Aww. see. Well, well, I mean, it, that's that's the kind of characters they play, yeah, though, absolutely, right? Absolutely. Like, like you don't you don't you don't you don't particularly want to like. Oh, maybe you do tune in and just like in an episode where Lucan just keeps winding up in the middle of people who want to shoot him or kidnap him or hurt him. The moment you see those three guys in a room together, it's like, oh no. But the moment Gretchen, someone starts shooting at 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 Lucan and what is it, whiskey? Bob or whiskey? Yeah, what was Pete. it? it? Was whiskey something? It was whiskey. I whiskey think I Bob. You're right. Whiskey, whiskey Bob. Bob. Yeah, it was whiskey Bob and whiskey Bob's friend. Willie. You Seamus. I don't. Uh, yeah, Willie. Willie. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and 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 someone starts shooting at them, and you're like, oh no! But then the moment you see it's Gretchen Corbett shooting at them, it's it's like it's like a little a little door opens up in your heart to let the light in. Yeah, that's exactly what happens when you see her. And then they bring in Matt Clark. Yes. As Jake, who they have a like a relationship with, which I loved. It's, a, and, it's really wonderful the way they, they, they do it. It's really yeah, cool. and he's great. He's also one of those actors that I love to see in things. He, speaking of Magnum P.I., he's in this, and I'll make it brief, he's in this Magnum P.I., <laughs> A Pretty Good Dancing Chicken. Her episode's oh. The Look. But his episode, is it's considered a non-fan favorite, but it's one of my all-time faves. And speaking of, the last episode, which had one of the actors from the Switchblade Sisters, mm. Dom from the Switchblade Sisters, is also in A Pretty Good Dancing Chicken. And oh. it's about this girl who is dating this really bad guy, and she ends up missing, and Matt Clark is the dad. And he comes to Hawaii, and his um, sister... I think is Carol, who's one of the regular characters on the show, and she she enlists Magnum to help find her niece, and and it's got this really moving ending, and it's all because of Matt Clark. There's this scene at the end, and I don't want to give it away in case anybody hasn't seen Magnum and wants to venture into it because I think it's a terrific episode. But like when you find out what Dom did to this girl, and then and then you see the end of the episode and you see the way Matt Clark is about his daughter, it's like it's so amazing. And I think that was the thing that I saw that really, like, talking about opening up your heart to somebody. And yeah. he was in a really, really great movie that I can never remember the name of with Martin Sheen where they play partners, um, and they're hunting down Son of Sam, and it's a true story. Oh. It was a TV miniseries, and it's, uh-huh. it's like, oh, it's got darkness in the title, I think. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> and he's so, so, but I'm used to him playing these kind of, like, dad guys, uh-huh. you know? And, like, and he shows up in this, and I'm like, hey, what's going on back there? <laughs> Not bad, not James B. Sicking from the other episode of yeah. Search, but I'll take it. And I was like, and I love that he had this like love interest because I don't think I've ever seen Matt Clark in a story where they gave him a love interest, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then they give him Gretchen Corbett, and so it was yeah. like just watching these two wonderful actors just kind of like build chemistry together, yes. like out of magic, and mm-hmm. it was just wonderful. So that's I think about when I think about this episode. That's probably what I'll think about and the yeah. Prentice stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's it's almost one of those episodes where if it weren't an episode of Lucan, you could possibly have sort of doubled the length to give more uh, character development and stuff to yeah. everyone. But because it's an episode of Lucan and the focus really is Lucan and Prentice, you you give the but they, but they they're so they're so good that they they fill in those like the the moments yeah when 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 the two of them are tied up together yeah and that bad guy what's the bad guy? is it Bruckner is he the bad guy yeah Bruckner is played by the great Sandy McPeak another wonderful character actor I love. You, you know what's weird there's um. He, so Bruckner's the villain in this, and there's a Doctor Who story called Terror of the Vervoids, where their spoiler is a bad guy also named Bruckner. 
Oh, there you and go. I am not a huge fan of the classical composer Bruckner, but I like some of his symphonies. And I'm wondering if there was something about the classical composer that I don't know about, why he keeps coming up Ooh. as a villain. Yeah, and a Time Lord, maybe. Yeah, and a Time Lord, possibly, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, but, but yeah, when Bruckner has the two of them tied up by that rock, and they're just kind of, t- and they're so, and, and it's funny because he's just like, and she's like, you led him the wrong way, yeah. You know, and they're just sort of very casually not taking Bruckner seriously at all. Kind of, he's like this well, bad guy who they can't quite take seriously. Well, they don't need to because he he literally falls asleep and they sneak off. Yes. That, like I, that's it. Yeah, I I do that. Yeah, that that scene where they pull the the switcheroo on him and get everyone out of there, and he wakes up and nobody's there. Is is the sort of is is the sort of it's the sort of thing you don't always see in shows like this. It's yeah. just that little bit of extra clever. That is like, a, you know, instead of storming in there and grabbing the gun from Bruckner and and get get everyone out of here, Lucan just sneaks sneaks around the campsite, freeing everybody and setting up each of the sort of bedrolls as if there was someone there. Yeah, and then and then they go around the corner. They're not even that far away. Yes, they're goofing just, him. So that when he wakes up, and they also somehow got the bullets out of his gun. And yeah, uh, I, I and, did uh, wonder about that, but Lucan. which is. Funny because he probably I did they get every round because when Christian Corbett is shooting she's shooting like thirty rounds out of a two gun two oh, yeah, barrel yeah, shotgun yeah, yeah. and he only has two shot bullets yes. so well, I don't it is Christian Corbett though yeah she is magically I, just appears for her I feel like Rockford may have lent but, her the gun or something what do you think happened to Bruckner when he ran into that mountain cat because oh. it just kind of ends on a cliffhanger doesn't it yeah yeah you don't I I um I don't know because that seems a bit because he seems he seems like a snidely whiplash kind of villain who's more goofy than who who like, like I said they they don't really treat him that seriously even when he's at his most sort of dangerous he's not treated that seriously so I'd like to say maybe maybe he peed his pants or something <laughs> and the cat <laughs> ran away so. and then he got back down to his trading post with his wet pants and everyone oh. had a good laugh. I hope so because I love Sandy McPeak and I hate yeah, the idea of him being mauled by a mountain. I don't. Mark. I don't think so. I. I feel like. I feel like probably. Probably it. It doesn't really suit the episode. I mean, cause no, the episode, it doesn't. It, the episode does have a bit of danger here and there, but it's got a guy named Whiskey Bob. <laughs> you know, and, and 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 the main guy there, you know, who Jones there, who gets, you know, he 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 doesn't seem to be sort of taking the the bad stuff seriously. So there's just something about it where it's interesting. It's one of those, yeah, where where obviously Lucan shows up hoping it's something parrot related, and then as again, as soon as it's not, he's too, in too deep to just walk away. It, it sucks that Bruckner is his dad. Yeah, that would stink. Yeah. It's. I mean, how many seasons could we have done that though? Where, um, you know, and that would have been a thing too. Like the Lucan map would also have one of the other things would be at you would have you would have lines that were different colors charting the seasons, but then at the specific places you would have different colored thumbtacks, and it would be like yellow would be fake sighting, yeah. But, you know, blue would be actual sighting, but doesn't find anything. You know, uh, green would be a sighting where he, you know, he finds the watch or something like that. You know, I love this map. replaced sort of with gold at the end of this, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. Which is interesting. And also, we haven't talked about uh, 
the kind of political commentary that's in here oh, because yes. you know when it, get, it gets revealed that there is actually is gold on this mountain that all these prospectors have been looking for and um and jake knows it and it's on the reservation mm -hmm. the apache reservation i'm really glad that they actually used an actual indian like yes. sometimes they just like don't refer to what tribe they're affiliated with you know and, <laughs> just and have oh, some engines kind yeah, of thing, and it, yeah and it's really good too because and also apaches are known for being fierce and they don't mess around in this episode yeah, um no, no, and yeah. and they're great and uh and so we find out that there's gold on the land and that jake knows that the second that the government finds out that that yes. land is valuable they're gonna what did you say they're gonna run a thousand something through congress yes. to get the land and and that's very true yeah. Do you know what I mean? And and like I feel like they're introducing this idea of like the exploitation of the land and what what the government has taken away very subtly, and yes. not in a way that like it's the main point of the episode, but in a way that makes you kind of understand yeah. this piece of history a little better, you know. And you like the, that character even more right at that point. Oh, absolutely! He's like a hero because he's doing yeah. it for like maybe they're giving him some money, but he's not getting rich off it. And no, no. And he's kind of doing it because he knows if he funnels the money as a white person, you know, they that, won't. Like, no one will. They, the only thing you will have to worry about are other jerky white people. Yeah. And, and he's got the whole Apache tribe to back yeah him to, up. to help him. And and I just I love that as part of like the master plan of this whole mystery that's happening. And I thought that that was a really nice subtle. And I also like like because I feel like and I don't know that much about the way American Indians have been portrayed on um, television and in film. I know that there's a lot of gray area about it. Ooh. I just punched my, my microphone. I got angry at the way... At the way they're treated. <laughs> Sorry and, about and I, it. <laughs> and I like this episode because it's feeding into this idea of like the Indian being potentially violent because you know how they're all circling around Luke Cannon yes. at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then you find out that they're really just kind of protecting what's already theirs. And they're not violent people mm -hmm. because they could have done all kinds of stuff to Lucan and to Prentice if they wanted to and they don't. And and also they've become allies at the end, you know, Lucan yeah. and the Apaches. And so it's kind of like taking the stereotype that we believed to to some extent to be true and then flipping it on its ear just enough. Mm -hmm. the, obviously the episode isn't hinging on any of this, but, but it's there. And it's like kind of thoughtful commentary to put yeah. into something, you know, about a guy named uh, Whiskey Bob. <laughs> exactly and the because uh, in, in that opening scene where he goes to like the trading post thing and all the uh, all the gentlemen are sitting there staring at him your first thought is Lucan why are you here you may maybe you shouldn't be here yeah. this just looks like a bad idea and uh, they kind of a little misdirection there um because and then he goes and talks to Brookner, and Brookner turns to be the screwball yeah and interesting right that, mm -hmm. that's an also nice little flip that they did there as well I, and it also, for for some reason, I don't I don't know why why I thought this, but sort of the the way they treat the the Native Americans here almost reminds me of the way they do it, kind of um, in Sweet Sixteen, uh, the slasher. Yeah, I like that movie, but I'd actually have to rewatch it again too. Because oh, because yeah. that one has the sort of same thing where it's like um, uh, the white territory on the on the Native American territory bordering, and you know they all congregate in a bar and and they're um, and the. Uh, <laughs> The whites are all sort of brooknery and stupid, and and um, but I don't know why I thought of that. Maybe I, I want to watch get, it. Again. I kind of get it because it's in. Mm. It's one of those movies that doesn't like. I feel like it doesn't more in Sweet Sixteen, but mm. we're like they're introducing these ideas, mm. but they're not necessarily building entire films out of them. Yes, yes, because because in the end, I mean, sweets at the at the end of a slasher, it, the slasher is about 
what the slasher is doing. So, and all the other stuff is technically red herring. But so. there's that other movie, it's not a slasher, but it's a horror movie, with um, the guy, oh my god, I'm totally forgetting his name now, from Dallas. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve Canale played him. Oh, yes, yeah. Why can't I remember his name? I love him. And um, and it's, I think it's called Fleshburn. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's... I think so. But now I can't remember the premise well enough to say if it's speaking to it, but I think it's about a, an American Indian who drags these people out into the desert and he's expecting them to die of exposure because of something that they did to him. Oh, that's, and, that does, yeah. And it's Steve Canale and three other people, I think. Yes. I, I, rem- I, I remember that because I, what the heck was it? Because I remember, yeah, I always remember when I see Ray. Yeah, Ray, yeah, that's think, it. Yeah, yeah, it would fall under Indian exploitation, I think. And, oh, um, okay. And I don't think this does, but I think we're starting to get into this idea of like how can we use these aspects about um, uh, American Indian culture and then integrate it into like, this kind of B film or this kind of TV show. And so I think when we're thinking of all these different things, it's because we're tying it maybe into like elements of what I would call Indian exploitation. Not that I think this is it, but I think it's leading us to that genre. Ghost yeah. dance, right? Ghost dance. Ghost dance. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely which it was more, it's more enveloped in, in American Indian mm-hmm. culture, I think than, than what we've been talking about. But, um, but yeah, it's there. And so I think it's really interesting to, to kind of, put that in this episode and just leave it like, yeah. like not, not be preachy about it, but just, but just show us different sides of it. And yes. like, and like just introduce it to people to think about. And that's almost my favorite kind of thing for a film to do mm-hmm. because like, I certainly don't mind films that have a, like a political agenda if they're thoughtful and they're just putting it out there. Like I would say a lot of Spike Lee movies definitely have an mm-hmm. agenda and they're also really good films mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that. But I also like the idea of, especially in genre, um, introducing something and then just being like, I'm just going to dangle this in front of you. And if you want to think about it, you know what you can, we've given you some stuff here, mm-hmm. but if you don't want to think about it, we've already gone on to like the horror or whatever action aspect of the, of the film or episode. And you can think about that and just enjoy it for what it is, you know? And, and I think that when, when TV shows and films do that, I think in a way it's almost more clever than doing it the other way. Mm-hmm. Cause it, yeah, cause you never, uh, you, you never lose the, although, you, you never lose the uh, the main thread of, no. of uh, like I said, the fact that this is technically all about Lucan and Prentice, and the other stuff is just nice stuff to. It's nice to have. It's nice to to think about. It's it's yeah. nice to, and it's and, a nice. It's a it's it's you know like the the previous episode had had that thing where you think it's a hallucinogenic, but it's actually something else, and so that's not a greatest twist. No, but, but that's but, also flipping it on its ear because they mm-hmm. have this idea that once a drug addict, always a drug addict, right? Yeah. And, and, and he's coming out of this culture of this, like, the... So this would have been, like, 77 or 78, and we're assuming he was going out into the world, like, in the early to mid-ish 70s, mm-hmm. which would have been when the counterculture had turned really kind of ugly because of Manson and all this stuff, yeah. and they kind of broken apart. And what was left were these remnants of people who were kind of, like, just doing drugs, and, like, they kind of lost the whole point of the movement, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And so, like, they introduced this idea that he came into, like, the tail end of the subculture and got like the bad aspects of it. But what happened was, and then he just stayed there. Right. But what happened Mm -hmm. was he'd actually like reformed and like beat an addiction. And, and, 
everybody just assumed he fell back into it because this idea of once an addict, always an addict. Mm -hmm. But he wasn't. He was being forced to drug. So that's really interesting, too. They're actually flipping these ideas on its ear in both episodes. I'm so glad you brought that up. It's it's they're they're nice little twists and they and they and they work well. I mean, the the great thing with Steve in the previous episode is that in the end, what he really did was kind of, as it were, sow his wild oats yeah. for a few years. And that's it. And, and then he and then he like came back and he was like, I'm done. I yeah. did it. I'm done, Dad. What do you got for me? But 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 this guy makes it look like he's stuck he, he, in this like yeah, kind stuck. of world and yeah really really cool like idea to and they're doing that here like here's an introduction of what's going on in you know in the world of american indians and politically and um and then here we are with the mountain cat and bruckner you know what i mean like it just mm. keeps going and, and so it's there and you can think about it or you can just enjoy the mountain cat mauling standing with <laughs> there's a there's a gold mine that some people say he has stuff in it, and others don't. And and what's going on? I bet but, it's haunted, uh, and we could go could, back yeah, and make a horror movie. All all the great, all that great stuff, and um, it, it like you said, it, it might be a little too much for a fifty minute episode of television. Sure. But in the end, it's it's entertaining enough. And like I said, you get the fun thing where they they sneak everybody off the campsite. I actually thought what was going to happen with the campsite was that he he would he would walk through and keep picking up the the sleeping bags and find no one underneath. And did you notice how like they didn't really have like stuff like you know like you like if you're in bed you put pillows in to yeah, make yeah. it look like it's you. They they just kind of puffed stack it up. them, puffed them up so it looked like and it looked pretty good. And but I actually thought when he lifted the last one off, it was going to be Prentice like gagged with handcuffs oh, on. That would have been so good. I thought that 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 was the that was the one thing I because one it would have got him out of the um it would have put him near a fire um for for some of the night because it was getting cold it would have got him out of wherever the hell he was by that awful rock. But I thought that's what it was going to be like he there's no one here and then he lifted the last one and just prentice with the gag on going oh, rrr, 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 giving him a look. But um but that's okay that it didn't do that. It was still fun. Absolutely. Yeah, no this was this was a good way to kind of Say goodbye, I, I guess. I, I think it closes it closes it out. It's it's a it's a it's like I said, it's not it's not it's not a great story, but it's a good one. Yeah. And it's well acted, it's well directed. When they actually get up into the mountains and things like that and the and the hills, it does feel less Los Angeles y. It it feels like well, mostly. I was gonna say I actually have a scene right now where they're where they're clearly like the mash unit is about twenty feet away from them. Yeah. But um, but but mostly mostly it works, and I, I like the fact that we have like like we have a villain in in Bruckner who think I I feel like if if this were a series Bruckner would do this like once a season. Once a season, Bruckner would pull out the gun and threaten everybody. He'll never learn. Yeah, he'll never learn. That's almost the feeling you get when the, when the two of them are tied up by the rock. Well, that's kind of what Gretchen Corbett was alluding to because she was talking about that her dad had this, like, area that he owned that had no real gold in it. Some gold, but not enough to really eke out a living. But she said it took her a long time to understand that it wasn't the gold that he was interested in. It was the dream. Yeah. And, I, and so Bruckner's dream is also like the gold, but he's going about the wrong way. He could buy a piece of property and start digging like this guy did. But like in a way, I think that that's, he's representative of that as well. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's a guy who like, if there was a TV series called Bruckner, every, every, (laughs) every season would be him moving into a small, like mining town 
ingratiating himself as best he could. And then the two-part finale would be him taking everyone hostage and trying to get control of the mind. <laughs> that would last like half a season. And you that would it. last like half a season. We never get to that big finale. But nope. Brook, Bruckner Khan... In another, <laughs> in another world, on no, another Luke Earth. Khan. I'm into Lucan. Lucan sounds fantastic. I go. Not... Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Even if it was only like a hundred people or, or seventy-five. Well, people. We could get Stephanie Zimbalist, Kevin Brophy, yes. Stalker Channing, Gretchen Corbett. I mean, there's still some people here that we can yes. yeah. we can call and have do a little panel. Mm-hmm. Oh, that would be fantastic. And we we could do like um, uh, we we could do like a little um. Uh, like, like we'd have Kevin Brophy. Like, uh, he, it's announced that he's going to be there on the first day. Like, it'd be a three-day thing, but he wouldn't show up to like the afternoon of the second day. And what would happen is that, like, at the little events and screenings, we'd have like pre-filmed, pre-taped inserts of like Kevin Brophy dressed as Lucan with the backpack, Looking. just wandering, wandering around assorted places. He got, like, he got distracted because somebody said they had a letter that they knew who his dad was, yeah. and he's like, he's heading there first. That would be good. Yeah, and like like by the sixth time, be like, guys, and he'd hold it up. I got another letter. And maybe this one could be like a baby scrawl or something like that. Is, no, is Kevin no, your mama. ever showing up? <laughs> ever? Is is he showing up? And, uh, and the great thing would be, because um, if we had a time where you started to think, people started to think that, I don't think Kevin Brophy's ever going to show up. One of us could pretend to be someone angry in the crowd. Going, he's not going to show up, is he? And well, we don't want to one... create a riot. You know how people are at cons. Well, well, well. I, I think, I think if 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 one of us creates the 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 brings on the anger, we might be able to control it. I don't know. I'll let you take care of that. Part, I, because yeah. I don't I'd like to think we're more um, Lucan than Bruckner. The fans. Yeah, but all the people in Bruckner wear. Bruckner, Are, Bruckner wear. They're in Bruckner wear. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's like, this is the new Bruckner wear. Well, you know, well, like and when the cosplay happens, some of them people are going to, yes. some of them, some of them people, I'm, so, I'm Whiskey Bob all of a sudden, some of them people are going to start pretending like they're Bruckner. That's or, true. Or one of these evil, like Celeste Holm or something. You're going to go with Celeste, that's right. Yeah. I am going to go with Celeste Holm and I'm going to rule the roost. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take over. I'm going to get Pamela Franklin to show up and I'm going to be really mean to her. I would never do that. She's adorable. No, I would never. No, yeah. Again, I'm going as Elisha Cook Jr. and um, uh, or Fleabag. Um, but uh, yeah, the I I love our I love the the. Maybe we'll just do that for the first day. Then we won't drag it on. No, drag it on because people want Kevin Brophy. That's Luke yeah. Luke without Luke Can. Yes. No. Is Luke Can't. Yeah, you don't want that at all. And, and so, so like, oh, so like, opening ceremonies are the first big chat with him because we'd have several throughout the, uh, like, one about Lucan, one about his career, maybe one about his life and what he's been doing, that kind of thing. Well, I actually uh, maybe, have a... maybe something about his paintings. And if he doesn't paint, we'll have people do paintings and yeah. he can talk about them. But I actually have a book here. I think it's just called the TV book, and it's got a really great interview with um, Dr. Hoagland, John Randolph. Really? Is and it we... which? Yeah. We can do readings. Oh my gosh, that's right. We could do dramatic readings. Yeah, John Randolph's uh, interview in the TV book. Oh my gosh, that's fantastic. Oh wow. Yeah, that's that's great. And and so we'll just do it the first day then. It's like he's supposed to be there at noon for like opening ceremony or whatever, but he's not there. And we said he we we got this. I got this um, this file. This file was email. This MP4 was emailed to me. <laughs> Uh, five minutes ago. I'm sorry, everyone. I was nearby. I got off the bus, 
and I checked my email and I got this email. <laughs> He's your so dad, your dad um, is actually staying at maybe somewhere nearby. So like for folks who are local, they can go, woo, you know, and they could show him walking into like the nearby, like uh, Denny's or something. Yeah. They're Ralph's or is whatever. It? Yeah. Yeah. Like, Hey, I go there. Whoa. Luke had was there. And then gradually as the day goes along, he could get, he, he gets off at like LAX or the bus. I'm just, I doesn't have to be in LA. I'm just saying that because I'm here. But like at LAX or he gets off at, at Union Station and gradually every hour there's an update and he's getting closer and closer. But he has to stop because he keeps getting telegrams or letters or something via Morse code saying that a man with a semaphore flags said my dad was over here. And then, and and then we will get a Dr. Hoagland hologram and to walk in with him. That oh won't be expensive. And, and then the the best one would be you uh, like right when you think he's supposed to be there. We just got this this message. I'm sorry, everyone. This we we he he. I, I think he might not be here. And it could be it could be like him standing in front of like a tree or something, saying, "I've just got this message, and I, I'm 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 right here. I'll be there as soon as I can, everyone." And then you'll see him walking, and the camera will pan out, and you'll see he's walking in the front door wherever the convention is. And then, the, and then you'll see him inside walking towards the door, and then he'll walk up to the door of the convention room, and then Kevin Brophy will – the screen will stop, and Kevin Brophy will walk in. And people will <sighs> die. People Gosh, will die. People will, go, people will go mad because they think they're being – they're like, he's not here yet. And then all of a sudden they realize, oh, my God, he's right outside. And maybe some people will run. And, and then the moment he walks in, we, we can either do live footage of him walking to the conference room, or we can pre – Shoot, I think we should probably do live footage, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because we don't, because what would he do? He, we'd have to hide him at the door. Unless he came in through another door. We'll figure Maybe it out. We, 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 need we, the, we, we need to have the space first to know how we're going to set it up, Dan. We, um, we, you know, we could do at that point, <laughs> as, as he's approaching the conference room door, we could have, um, uh, we could have like a security guard or something and say something like, would all the apprentices in the crowd please stand by? Luke Ann is entering the room. And like all the guys and pe- women dressed as Prentice could like stand oh. by the door. Oh, yeah. Prentice, Prentice cosplay. Prentice play will be like off the charts. Oh, my gosh. I'll stand by the door waiting for him. And then Luke Ann could come in like a back door of there and get up on stage. And they're not going to bother him when he's on stage. And the and music's can, playing. And it could just like, as soon as Luke, I want Luke to do this because the people were waiting to see him. But as soon as he gets off the stage, he's mine. Zagor. Zagor. <laughs> and then, and then Zagor could appear as a wizard on the screen. If he's still with us, yeah. And, and all the lights could go out when the lights come back on. Lucan's gone, but someone dressed as Lucan is in his place. And they oh. come and they grab him, and they're like, "This isn't Lucan." And Prentice is so mad. And Princess is so pissed off. We're gonna find you, Lucan. And then throughout the weekend, there could be random updates on the screens of Princess looking for Lucan and Lucan hiding out like at the diner with a bunch of fans drinking and stuff like that. I, I just missed him. Ugh. Oh, so we got to do this. Oh man, I love Lucan so much. I love Lucan. <laughs> it's so much fun every year. <laughs> it is. It really is great. Fifteen was the best, I think. Sixteen was good, but then COVID. Uh, kind of uh, well, the the. Uh... The Zoom convention. The Zoom, the Zoom one was fun because because we had we had Lucan going all around the world because we just put green screen behind him. Yeah. On the Zoom calls. Uh, here I am at the Eiffel Tower looking for my parents. They're at the top. 
and then someone intercuts a scene from uh, the James Bond film View to a Kill with Grace Jones on the Eiffel Tower. Is that my my mom? And she jumps, she jumps, she parachutes off the side. Oh man, I love this so much. Hi everyone. Uh, what are we talking about? Thunder God Gold. Yes. Good. And I, th- I think we're we're at the end of the series, everyone. We're thinking fondly of it. Um, so do you have anything else on Thunder God Gold? No, it's good. It was good. It was real good, and we really liked it. And we are we were worried about Prentice, but he's okay. Yeah, I'm glad he's okay. And um. Uh, and so, so I guess let's let's wrap the Lucan chat up with the final final thoughts on oh, overall final thoughts on Lucan. You can break it up season one, season two, do an overall, discuss uh, your favorite Lucan, which is number eleven. <laughs> um, this is like the most amazing show on the planet. Um, I can't believe it only has like eleven or twelve episodes. I think it's twelve if you count the pilot, and that seems unfair. And I feel like. If I could go back to the 70s, I think if you were a kid of a certain age, I, this has to have been one of the best children's productions of the decade. Like, I can't think of another show that's quite as effective of it. And I do think it's a kid's show. You know, it's about like this kid got raised by wolves and he's like incredible Hulk in it across the country and stuff. And And there's no violence really in it. And there's no death that I can think of, except that one guy in the, when they changed the, the story around a little but like um this is a wonderful show i think my favorite episodes are the search uh surprisingly enough one punch wolfson which i remember not liking the first time i saw it and brother wolf and how do you run forever yeah those are probably my favorites so i think those are exceptional shows uh, episodes of an exceptional show and even the unexceptional ones with the exception of please don't come near my baby this week which stars Les Holm and Pamela Franklin, they're all pretty good. Even the Nightmare one is okay, the one where they kind of changed the story around because they gave us Claudia Jennings in, like, a children's show, yeah. which is important, I think, to think about. But, um, like, The Lost Boy was really good. And and, something... and Robert Reed. Oh, yeah, Robert Reed. Oh, my God. Is that the Pariah? Pariah. Oh, Pariah. And so, like, we've almost named every episode of the show. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, because there's so many, there's so many good entries and even when it's not that good, it's pretty good. And even when it's not pretty good, it's watchable. So like there's mm-hmm. not one episode I can't not watch, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's an important show because I think, like we said at the beginning, when I, I've talked a lot about this idea of it being about family and, um, and I think when we look at it in terms of 1977, 1978, it's it's doing a lot of interesting stuff because we're looking at families changing quite a bit in this decade for a lot of reasons, including like the rise of divorces and kind of blended families and step families and also uh, single parenting became a thing because of the second wave feminist movement. And I mean, that's always existed, but like a, an option that some women may have chosen for themselves because they didn't necessarily want to be married and have a kid. They wanted one or the other. And so, like, um, there's this great sort of kind of like we were talking about with the Native American stuff happening in this, where they're introducing the idea of the changing face of family, but they're not necessarily making it like they're not hitting you over the head with it. It's there and you can look at it and see it as you as you want to. Or you can just watch the episode and watch this kind of yeah. incredible Hulk story. And um, and it's it's fabulous. And I think it's really artistically done, particularly in the first season when we were talking about those Sentinel Lee episodes, like mm-hmm. The Lost Boy. It, it was very visually um, well done. It wasn't just a throwaway show. It wasn't just something somebody created. There's a lot of thought into, like, 
every aspect of this show, from the writing to the direction to the cinematography and the acting. Um, and it's such a wonderful introduction to Kevin Brophy, if people aren't familiar with him. And I just, it breaks my heart that there's only 12 episodes, but I'm also warmed by the idea that there, well, A, that there are 12 episodes and the show just yes. exists, but also B, that Warner Archives uh, not only streamed this, but had the foresight to put it out on DVD mm-hmm. because so many shows that only have like 12 episodes are just forget it. Yes. That's it. If you didn't catch it when it came on, hopefully somebody taped it and it's now uploaded on YouTube and it's blurry yeah. and you just watch it. <laughs> but um, here we have a pretty good copy of a show that, and I think it does a, a justice with the exception of not having me on there to do commentary for every episode and also write the booklet. <laughs> yeah. But except for that, I think mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's bl- a perfect release. Yeah, the the Blu-ray set will have that. We'll, I hope so. We'll announce that at a uh, Lucan Con twenty two. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think I, I I really enjoyed the show. I um I think the 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 thing uh, no I yeah I have two episodes the uh, don't go there with that baby and nightmare that I just I could have done without. Yeah. Uh, but the but the rest of them all I had something I liked in them and and the best of them uh, I thought were really darn good. And I just, I just, the the, I just felt like the show, um, the way they scheduled it, the the fact that you know one episode airs and then they stick an entire an entire show in between the first and the second episode, and an entire show that, as far as I know, isn't very good at all. Yeah. Um, is really, I don't think I've ever really heard that before in television scheduling. I mean, if a if a show airs one episode, then next week another show's on. That show is the first show is done. It doesn't come back. Yeah. And the fact that they did bring it back, they showed six more episodes and then gave it some more episodes, shows somebody, maybe Zagor, just, just, he was all powerful and he could do that. But I, I just wonder, like, after they treated it so badly in the first season, I, why didn't they give it, a th- like, 13 episodes? I, I, four episodes? That just seems really, really weird to me. And I, I, I think four episodes... I, I, Luckily, you can't really see it when you're watching it, but I that must have been sort of like like giving them seven episodes. Okay, I can see that because this time period shows would get like Three's Company started with six, Future Cop had six, you know, six or seven episodes. Okay, that's they did that a lot this time period, but like giving them six, seven, and then four. I mean, I'm I'm wondering if like the crew and the cast when they started it, they were like. This we're not going to get picked up for anymore. Yeah, it must have been so disheartening for them to, to have this kind of schedule. I what I remember, um, it had much greater success. But there was a show called Crazy Like a Fox with John Rubenstein, oh, yeah. who was with Richard, Gretchen Corbett, and she's dressed to kill because I know we talked about her. But um, the uh, they changed that show around a lot on what night it would air. Specifically, I think there were articles, and I'd have to go back to double check that because I'm doing this off memory. It was like the network didn't really care for the show, yeah. but but the audience followed it wherever it went, mm-hmm. and they kept trying to like, well, if we put it here, mm-hmm. then it'll lose its audience. Well, it's oh fuck, they're still watching it. Okay, <laughs> let's put it here, and and I kind of feel like it's not the same here with Lucan because they were the audience. I don't think was able to track it as well. But it, it felt like the, it felt like, and I'm guessing, of course, that there was not network support yeah. for the show, and it just kind of maybe you're right because uh, Michael Zagor was associated with The Fugitive, which the show is quite a bit like, and yeah. and I'm sure that um, anybody who was associated with The Fugitive probably had some pull 
in the yeah. 70s because it wasn't that much after the original mm-hmm. show and and he was probably able to finagle what he could out of it but like i feel like there was not support for it probably a because it is a children's show mm-hmm. and I don't remember there being that many primetime children shows in the 70s. There were family shows. Yeah. Yeah. But I would, and I think families could watch this, but I think it was predominantly for younger audiences. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like maybe they were like, well, maybe we'll see. Yeah. But like, actually, people are watching children's shows in the daytime or they're watching yeah. the Waltons, and we don't have like a Waltons atmosphere here. So, mm-hmm. like, what do we do? Well, I don't know. How do you market it, right? Because it's about a feral, like, child. Who was raised by wolves? Like it's already a wacky premise, and yeah. and it it felt like it felt it fell into the, like the network's purview, and they're like, okay, market it and figure out where to put it and figure out mm-hmm. what it is, and they were like, we don't know, so let's just <laughs> yeah. throw it here. Same we can we can market. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't matter if it's a lesser show. We understand it in terms of like what do they call log lines and like mm-hmm. you know promotional materials, and so I kind of feel like that's what happened here. Yeah, and I, I and I would almost bet these four episodes of, of season two, I would bet um, there were quite a few Lucan fans from season one who probably didn't even know it was on the air. Yeah, I bet. I mean, four four episodes, it's you know it it can be a lot when you're watching Nightmare and it feels like it goes on for three hours, but but four episodes of television over four weeks is very quick. So there's there's every good chance like someone because this was uh, you know you get you got your TV guide or whatever was in your local newspaper if you if you missed it for a couple of weeks you know you're you're at the end or you might yeah. you might not have even known it happened you, someone might have come to you a week later a month later and said did you catch the Lucans what do you think do you think that they actually filmed all of them together and then just aired seven of them and then we're like well, we have four now so what do we do and they just threw them out there. I don't know. I mean, the 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 thing that would make me say no is the premise change. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Um, but but then that could, I mean, they could have shot um, that last though because it feels like the, they dropped that premise. No, that couldn't be because he does talk about the murder stuff. Prentice yeah. brings it up, so yeah, no, that's not possible. Yeah, you're right. It's and, and what I was going to say in uh, the show I just finished, Gemini Man. In the last few episodes of that, the ones that didn't actually air. Um, that was a weird one, like 11 episodes and only five of them aired. Six six of the episodes did wow. not air in the U.S., which is re- I mean, I'd love to know the schedule for that. Like, when they were making episode 10, was it, we've been off the air for two weeks. You know, is it, or, or I don't, but, but Gemini Man changes its format in the last four episodes or so. Not, not incredibly but it loses a main character and it kind of changes the way it tells its stories mm. so they could that could have been the same thing with lucan they could have got like seven episodes in and someone may have said hey you know uh, as much uh, you know i i as much as we was, love this as as much as we love the, yeah i was going to put that end of that sentence in quotes as much as we love this um we're not fully um could you make it more fugitive yeah because because there's a chance they could have all been done at once um it might be yeah, tough to tough to. I'd I'd love to know. I actually. would too. That's why we need Kevin Brophy. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, I wish I could have surprised uh, you and had him on here for this final chat. But uh, he t- he called me up and said he got a call something about his parents. He's yeah. in Cleveland. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't make it out of California. Thank God. He, did, he never made it out of California, yeah. but somehow he's in Cleveland. Yeah. And um, but uh, but yeah. O- overall, I think I think it's a good show. I mean, it's um. Is it one of my absolute favorites? Now I'm asking myself questions. I love when I do this. Dan, how are you? 
I'm okay. Thanks. <laughs> um, is it is it is it one of my absolute favorites that we've done so far? Probably not. <gasps> um, but it's darn close. I mean, my absolute favorites have been um, Ellery Queen. Joni loves Chachi. And Joni loves Chachi. Yeah, <laughs> Ellery Queen and and Search and Police Squad, the singing detective stuff like that. Lucan, I don't think it's at that level, <gasps> but it's definitely miles ahead of Future Cop and Planet of the Apes. And I mean, like Planet of the Apes was one. Thirteen episodes of that. Just I just recently rewatched all. Oh yeah, you, you know I watched the, the TV movie that they made out of the pilot and the one where they end up in the subway station. Oh, that's a good. Yeah, those those are those. those when you watch those, you get the feeling that the show is going somewhere. Well, nobody it told does. me James Naughton was on the TV show. Yeah. Nobody. And and it <laughs> turns out that him and the eventually blonde, super trade. Well, him and the blonde guy. It didn't even occur to me, but they're Starsky and Hutch, aren't they? More or less. Yeah. yeah. Except yeah. with apes. With, with Roddy McDowell. Yeah. 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 The I just recently rewatched all five of the original eight movies, and I realized I had never actually watched the last two. But John Randolph is featured pretty decently in the third one, oh. Escape. He's the one who announces that Cornelius and um, Kim Hunter's characters should both be sterilized. Of course he is. What a weird series that series of Planet of the Apes is. The only one that has any hope at the end is the fifth one. Uh, but the only reason it's hope is if you've seen all five. Because the premise at the end of the fifth one being that the future we see in the first one is it... has been changed because of what happened throughout the five movies. Is there one that ends with the baby? The third one. Third one. That's... Mama, the chimpanzee, and Ricardo Montalban. Is that the one in Century City? Yes. Yeah, that's the one I remember the most. I haven't watched them in years. But they're, they're when an I was, interesting Yeah, when I was a journey. teenager, I loved them, and I remember the Century City one because I think I watched it where it had, like, a host, and they talked about it being Century City and making it look futuristic. No, you can... You could do that. You yeah. might still be able to do that. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. And um, and I think it, it stuck out to me, A, because I remember really liking the movie, but also B, mm-hmm. I don't think when I was a teenager I had access to trivia like that unless somebody introduced it to yeah. the show. Yeah. And I yeah. thought it was kind of neat to have like background on a movie because that was so rare back then. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a it's a fun. I mean, obviously the first one is the best overall. It's a great, it just, yeah. It just looks great. You could tell there's a budget there, and you could tell that the budget decreases as it goes along. Just look at the eight masks. They're using the the eight those like they're, they're like the eight masks in the TV series where they don't quite move as much. I kind of like that. I didn't mind them because I felt like the actors were really good. Like they were super expressive yeah. and they did a good job. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it, but if you if you if you watch the TV series and then immediately watch the first oh, yeah, movie, yeah, yeah. the moment the ape show up, you're like, whoa, okay, yeah, yeah different, this is, different. This, and 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 it the the series does do the thing where since all five of the films tell sort of one big story but in a strange order, by the time you get to the fifth ser- the fifth one, it it starts to feel like okay, where are we going here? And then it kind of really isn't until the end of the fifth one that you realize what they were doing, and you go, oh, that was clever. I wish the fifth one was a little better overall, though. It's a J. Lee Thompson film, so he's a fine director. Yes. So he's never happy birthday to me and all the Charlie Bronson films. Um, but but it is kind of one of those weird things where that, that fifth film, it's like a lot of episodes of TV that I review on here. When you start watching the episodes, you're like, eh, where is this going? And then you get to the end and you're like, oh, that worked. But then if you were to immediately go back to the beginning, you'd, go, you'd think, oh, yeah, that's why I was wondering why I didn't quite like this at the beginning. But for some reason, it actually, when it gets the, the movies are so hopeless 
But then you get to the end of the fifth one, you're like, oh, there's some hope there. And I hope, I don't mean to say hope so many times, I hope that what they're implying, but they don't actually come out and state, happened. That the horrible future that we see Charlton Heston, well, horrible for humans. Apes are having a good time. Yeah. Well, not a lot of apes aren't actually. I was going to say, yeah. But, but no one's really having a good time. That future that Charlton Heston lands in may have been changed by the events of the five movies. And that moment of hope at the end of the fifth one is really quite lovely. Oh. And I forgot. Oh, I was talking about that because John Randolph is in the third one. Sterilize Yay. those apes. Yeah, it's good to see him. And I was like, Doctor Hoagland, no. You gotta watch Grand. If you you should think about covering that on here. I don't know if every episode's available, but how long does a show have to run for you? Uh, there's are very strict rules. Um, it's it's uh, it's usually a season or less. If it's more than one season, it has to be something like Lucan or Joni Loves Chachi, where they're not full seasons. Yeah, Grand was two seasons, but I don't remember. Oh. I should do a two-season show. If it was a two... And I don't know if it's worth two seasons. It was just a weird show, and I, I, when I was a kid, I remember kind of being into it. It looks like there's 13 episodes in the second season because it has this really weird episode, which it turns out was not the finale, and I thought it was, where everybody gets killed in um, oh, a tornado. But they're not really killed. But, like, it, it ends with... Like there, I think there's this trailer park that the the main protagonist lives in, and everybody ends up in the trailer mm-hmm. that she's living in, and then the tornado hits, and then the end of the episode, the tra- the trailer's just gone, oh. and it just shows where the trailer was, and then that's the end of the episode. Uh-huh. But it comes back, and I, but in my memory, that's where it ended, and I'm like, wow, what a dark way to end a yeah. TV show. But I believe that 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 not everybody that's that's just like a cliffing or something. Well, I may, you know, one day I may do Avengers Super Train 2, and it will be shows that are two seasons, okay. just so I can cover Grand. I can cover just so Moving you, On. Just Grand. Yeah, just Grand, so I can do Moving On, finally. F Troop. Oh, is that only two seasons? Monsters, yeah. I don't feel like that and, ran forever. <laughs> in syndication it has, but just, it had the black and white season and the color season. Yeah, the color season is the one I remember. Yeah, me too. Yeah, so Lucan, good show. I think uh, quite quite enjoyable, um, and 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 your mileage may vary. Those two episodes that I don't like, your you may love them. You may watch those two episodes and go, "Damn, this was where I wanted the show to go. This is where I wanted the show to be." I disagree with you. I wanted I the th- show th- to be. Please don't come near my baby for the next please, three weeks, and if you do, please I'll please don't approach. You. Please don't approach my baby. Um, my restraining look out. order for my baby is three hundred feet, and if you don't follow it, I'll have you arrested. <laughs> look out! It's my baby. Yeah. Um, was that a John Sayles film? Yeah. Um, uh, the um, yeah, it's 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 a really good show. I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, did you pick this or did I say? I think you picked this. Did, I think did you, you just. Mention this? I think you just said I'd like to do Luke Can, and I'm probably the biggest Luke Can fan you know. Yes. Yeah. It's true. True. Absolutely true. <laughs> Maybe You're the there only fan. You're there every Lucon. Yep. Even even Lucon three where no one showed up. That was okay. It was me and Kevin Brophy kicking back drinks. Yeah, having a good time. Having a, having a good, good time. time. Reminiscent about John Randolph. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so Lucan, Lucan recommended the DVD set. is uh, They look pretty darn good on the DVD set. They're uncut on there, and it's not an expensive set. So at least I didn't pay a lot for it. No, I don't remember being roughly. expensive. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, I recommend it. It's a fun show. Kevin Brophy's great throughout. There's some strange um, format changes and the occasional, well, two. I would say dud episodes, and I think you'd say one. 
so that ain't bad. Well, ain't yeah, bad that Nightmare Before is not great either, but but it has Claudia Jennings, and so I yes, just don't which care. Is, makes it worthwhile. So, so that's Lucan, everyone. Another one, another one, another one done here on Eventually Super Train. And Amanda, if you have, if you got if, if we're done chatting about Lucan, would you tell me what you're up to? I think I've announced everything okay. that I've done and that's been able to be announced. So people can just follow me at Made for TV Mayhem on Twitter, uh, Made for TV Mayhem on Facebook, and Made for TV Mayhem on Instagram. I don't have any other social media platforms. I'm still going to call it Twitter till they take it away from my cold yes. hands. Yeah, and, me too. And um, and uh, you can follow me on any of those. Excellent. Thank you so much again for joining me uh, on this. This is uh, three full shows we've done, and I'm very proud of that. And what was your favorite of the three? I can only think of two. Jody Love Shachi yeah. Masquerade. Oh, Masquerade. Ones. Oh, my God. This one. Oh, okay. Wow. The, awesome. The, the thing, that's tough because I love Joni Love Shachi. Like, I love mm. Joni Love Shachi. But Luke Can mm. has a special place in my heart. Masquerade yeah, was yeah. just fun because we got to talk about ninjas. I called out sick for work and, like, Steve Harvey. <laughs> There's there's something absolutely charming about masquerade. Oh, it's great, but it's, uh, it's like uh, let's just make the guy look stupid, and then that'll undermine him in his country, yes. and won't be able to take over the world. Yeah, like that's every yeah. episode. It's it's almost it's almost it's almost one of those shows that I think I think of when I think of it, I'm more fond of it than when I actually watch it. When I think of it, I think, wow, what a great show. When I watch, it, I'm like, that's a good show. It's fun, but just. Just yeah, it's fine show. Thinking thinking of it though, and just talking about it, I think is more fun than watching it possibly. Whereas Jody Love Chachi, um, that that the first the first season, the first four episodes, oh. and a good handful of the second season episodes are really good. With that Christmas show being oh, an all time favorite yeah. Christmas show of mine, yeah. So, but this but show, Lucan, this show, sits here in my great. heart forever. And I I do wish it had gone on longer. I do I do feel like you said that they're they're like family and freedom and stuff like that that are being examined whether accidentally or not that that if the show had gone on longer someone would have sat down and said hey you know we got these themes running through these episodes we should lean into them maybe a little yeah bit. it would have been really interesting to see where it went yeah but uh and i don't know what zagor did after this but if it's a short-lived show i'll try to cover it on here everyone i feel like he might have done a few yeah possibly yeah that's a, that's a that's a Zagor. <laughs> oh man, we just got Zagor. <laughs> oh, we got Zagor hard, oh, and it was cool. fun. So Amanda, thank you again, and um, and uh, I don't even know where we are. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's go on to the next episode of this. Hey, it's Dan again, everyone. There there isn't another thing we're talking about. Luke can's over. The episode's over. I'm sorry to sorry to ruin it for everyone who's hoped for another segment, but we are saying goodbye to Luca in this episode and to Amanda for now. I hope to have her back soon. Uh, but next time we are, we will be back. Monster Squad continues with the Tickler, and uh, we get some farming stuff on Galactica 1980 and a brand new old show. So uh, I'm just going to wrap it up right here. Be good to yourselves, everyone, and I will talk to you soon.